Personally, I think teaming Callahan with a Chinese-American would be very good for the department's image. Well, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. Hello. This episode, we review the fifth and final Dirty Harry film, The Deadpool, which came out in 1988. What do you get when you combine an indifferent star, a novice film director, and two amateur screenwriters? This. Harry is in big trouble with local crime lord Lou Gennaro. Why? Well, Harry testified against Gennaro and got him sent to prison. I guess Gennaro thinks if a witness is dead, then there's no case against him, so he sends four guys to ambush Harry. Yes, four guys. Well, this is going to be a short movie. Luckily for us, 50-year-old Harry has a magic gun, which can hit a perp at 69 paces, no matter which way the gun is pointing. Harry, like so many cops before him, is now a local celebrity. The press love to hate him, and he is assigned a partner to sweeten his image. Al Kwan. No relation to Raekwon. Harry and Al are sent to investigate the death of rock musician Johnny Squares. Squares is played by Jim Carrey in a role... <laughs> Wait a minute, hold up, really? Jim Carrey? In a role like so many comics before him, that is neither funny nor interesting. Squares was in the midst of filming a music video. His director, Liam Neeson, with a clip-on rat's tail that is a bigger crime than anything perpetrated in the movie, is mixed up in a Deadpool. A Deadpool, you say? Well, that sounds interesting. No, you're wrong. Dead wrong. A Deadpool is sort of a game in which participants guess what celebrity will die next. It is also way too flimsy a device to hang a whole movie on. But let's give it the old college try, shall we? What does this have to do with Gennaro, you ask? Why nothing? We forgot about that subplot right after the movie started. Harry finds himself in a tepid affair with Patricia Clarkson, a reporter with a nose who is simultaneously a news anchor and a beat reporter. What a talent. With the sudden and, let's say, surprising introduction of the murderer in the third act, and a preposterous remote-control car chase through the streets of San Francisco, we get a mess. But don't worry. Harry kills the murderer in a by-the-numbers payoff that will leave you panting for less. There's not even a dumb pun for a finale. Not even a... I guess he got the point. But we can still talk about it for over two hours, can't we? Everybody wants Harry's story, and so do we, even if there's no story there. Welcome to Dirty Harry Minute, a podcast that once reviewed every minute of that 1971 classic film starring Clint Eastwood, but has now de-evolved into reviewing the movie's lesser sequels. All Eastwood films are great but some are more greater than others. I'm your host, John, and today we are reviewing The Deadpool, or Dirty Harry number five. Today we are extremely lucky to be joined by two wonderful people. 
Our first guest, you might know him best as one part of the Sneaky Dragon podcast, one of Canada's best podcasts. He's a former furrier. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. A man who in the late 80s carted a 45 of New Order's Blue Monday all around Vancouver in a desperate attempt to get them to play the then obscure track. It's David Three Dogs Dedrick. Hello, David. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for that great introduction, by the way. And it's, it's pronounced farrier, just so you know. Farrier. <laughs> Do you think uh, Harry could ride a horse or shoe a horse? Do I think Harry could? Well, no. I think he's pretty, pretty citified, so... I would say no. <laughs> I introduced you as Three Dogs Detrick. Uh, that's your nickname, I'm, I'm told. Well, I wouldn't say it's a nickname, but, it, but there you go. That's fine. It's what I'm known as uh, as part of the show, the fact that I somehow miraculously at a restaurant ate three hot dogs. I have no idea why this was so remarkable, but for some reason, a friend of mine and her now husband found it so amazing that they that they constantly talk about it, apparently. Well, it's pretty remarkable because our hero, Dirty Harry, as we know, probably... Yes. Has no more than two hot dogs a day, one for breakfast, one for dinner. So you're one above him. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And that was at one sitting. I wouldn't, didn't you know, have it through the day. Just... <laughs> Our second guest, a man who loves crayons, a man with a secret soft spot for Richard Curtis romantic comedies, a New Yorker who says, you can beat me, you can kill me, just don't bore me. One part of the awesome Marine Corps Minutes podcast, it's Brian Lockhart. Yay! Hey, thanks for having me. Hopefully, I won't bore everybody listening. Were you bored by the movie? Not at all. Not at all. Not to show my hand. A sequel so bad that even Albert Popwell doesn't bother turning up. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) He was busy. Thanks for joining us, Brian. I think I'm the odd one out here in that there are Marine Corps in both your countries, Canada as well. David? Is there? I don't think so. I don't think there's a Marine Corps. There should be one, because there's... Isn't there something called the Maritime Provinces? <laughs> there is the Maritime Provinces, that's true, but that would be the Maritime Corps, I guess. No, there's no... Uh, there's no. I mean, we barely have a, an army here. We rely on the United States for all our support. We just, we just <laughs> lean on them. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good buddies. Yeah. Good friends here. Right, you know, you know what? And I, thanks to our friend Google, I confirm, it says no... Uh, no Canadian Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a Navy, we have an Air Force, and we have a we have a, an Army, but we do not have a Marine Corps. So that's it. Yeah, I always thought it's odd we don't have one. Obviously, Britain has one, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure why. I, I would definitely. I, I would have thought Australia would have had one, considering you're surrounded by water. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely have a Navy. I can confirm that. <laughs> of course, early in our history, the penal col- colony when it was set up. There was a dispatch of like Marine Corps on the first sort of ships, I think, for the first dozen years or so. Well, on the military, on the military ships, like the ships that fought, like in the in the Napoleonic Wars and whatnot, there always were Marines on the ships as well as sailors. So they were they were the ones that did the musketry and whatnot. And while the sailors fired the cannons, they would be firing the muskets and being in the like the the masts and stuff like that, shooting down on the other ships. So. Yeah, and if I remember my military history correctly, I think the Marines, at least the United States Marines, they would specifically try to target the officers the <laughs> best they could on the other ships. Sure. <laughs> yes, you want a you want a headless ship if you can get it. Right? So, yeah, yeah. So, Brian, what's your first memory of uh, seeing the Deadpool? Uh that was one. 
thanks to my dad, um, I was aware of it. Nineteen eighty eight, I was uh, eleven, eleven years old, maybe. So not not a not a movie that I would have readily been allowed to watch, but it's it definitely was in my. Um, I was aware of it, and my dad was a Dirty Harry fan. I'm positive he saw it in the theater, and I'm positive he watched it when it was on HBO. <laughs> and and some and I, I I my dad had a habit of showing me clips of R-rated movies uh, that he thought were funny <laughs> or, or or interesting. I'm I can't say for sure he specifically sat me down to watch the catchphrase <laughs> not to you know spoil it but um i have a i have a mem- uh, a memory of that catchphrase uh for as far from the deadpool and and this is all you know thanks to my dad getting older when i when i you know he told me he's like you, you got to go back and watch the first dirty harry and i of course then i i've seen them all in in order um I, that was just one that i i watched as a you know probably teenager and yeah, yeah I, I take it or leave it at the time. Maybe I have a different opinion now. My first memory of seeing the movie was just, I think, in a deep dive when I wanted to, when I discovered the love of my life, Dirty Harry. I thought <laughs> I was going to see the sequel. So it was probably just in the late 90s, I think. I borrowed it from a from the VHS store. What about you, David? What's your memories? When did you first see this film? Well, I think. I, well, I'm positive that we saw this film in the worst possible way, which is that we rented it on VHS tape from a video store when I was 22. So it was the same year it came out, basically, but we saw it after it left theaters and was in, available for rent. And so, of course, you saw it in like uh, pan and scan version. You know, there's no such thing oh. as letterboxing <laughs> in those days, much to my disgust. I remember, they used to play like, I think it was Clint Eastwood, they used to play the um, spaghetti westerns on television. And for the credit sequence, they would have like this banding on the top and bottom of the screen, and you realized, oh, this is this is what the movie's supposed to look like. Like you're supposed to see all this expanse, mm. and then the movie would start, and this would blamp, and it would just fill the whole screen again, and then you'd get these like super weird close-ups of people, and you'd miss you know aspects of the of the scene. It was very frustrating as a as sort of a movie fan, as a teenager, to watch this. But uh, so I remember seeing I remember seeing Deadpool as a rental. And uh, and I think I saw it before I'd seen any other Dirty Harry movies, actually. So I kind of saw it without any context to the film as well. So we just rented it because it looked interesting at the, at, the, at the store. When I showed you some stills of the movie, you're like, I've got no memory of this at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you just went on those ones I sent you of uh, Jim Carrey and so forth, you'd think, wow, this looks... This looks a little bit engaging, but uh, how, how did it how did it stack up on a repeat viewing, Dave? Not very well. <laughs> I will tell you that right now. I just felt I felt as a movie, it was a it was sort of a it was kind of a one of those movies where you feel like Whoa, was it did anything happen in this movie that I just watched? Like was there like any kind of plot to it or anything? I just felt like I just kind of like chugged along and then it ended. I was like, okay, hmm. <laughs> didn't didn't want a climax, guys. Oh, that's fine. I felt like the climax of the movie was the was the remote control car chase in it. That mm-hmm. seemed to me like the most fun and inventive part of the film and the most exciting part of it. And then the actual like climax of the film was just sort of this noisy, endless uh, kind of chase sequence around a building, and I was, hmm, that should have been the you know that should have been your like kind of middle part of the movie, and then the remote control car thing should have been your finale. But okay, 
you know that joke, you know, like, why can't they make all of the plane out of the black box? So, <laughs> why couldn't they make the whole movie out of the chase? <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't know if it needed to be, I mean, that would be, that would also be kind of tedious, but it just, it felt, it's a very strange film and it's also, uh, there's, um, I feel like, is it Clint Eastwood? Someone in with, that works with Clint Eastwood or worked with him had very odd taste in, in uh, leading ladies to work alongside uh, Clint Eastwood, like Patricia Clarkson, is a really odd choice to me for a for a film like this. I think she does a good job in it, although she uh, often she has like the weirdest smile. Like she just, I don't know, she looks like she's got the, like the cat who's got the canaries a lot of time. Like she's just like kind of has this weird grin on her face, and you're kind of like, what? Why are you smiling? But anyway, so I just this feel like you know it's just kind of weird. Like she's kind of known more for being in in kind of independent films and stuff, and and now she has kind of more of a kind of kooky kind of TV career. But it's just kind of it's just weird. Like she's not a woman. You kind of go, wow, you know, what a, what a drop dead. Gorgeous. It's just kind of, it's just a strange. <laughs> and it, I feel that way, like about Tyne Daly and the enforcer as well. Like, like, you know, she's fine, but w- why is she in this movie? Like, it's kind of weird. What do you think, Brian? Um, what do you think of the movie I, as a whole? A uh, movie as a whole. I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. And, I, I've seen it a handful of times, but it's not one I revisit. If I'm, typically, if I'm going to watch a Dirty Harry movie, it's the first one. Uh, yeah, but that, oh yeah. That doesn't, and I used to think, I, I thought I liked Sudden Impact more than I did. And when I've rewatched it, I'm like, mm, not my favorite. I'd rather watch a Deadpool, hands down, than, than probably, probably at this point, my second favorite. Even though I know, you know, Enforcer's really good and, and all that good stuff. But I, um, wow. I, I, remember, I remember not being impressed with the car chase with the with the remote control when i was younger not being impressed okay. yeah not being impressed i i had seen a document like one of those clint eastwood retrospectives or something like that and mm-hmm. they they pointed that scene out specifically as a kind of like a parody it was like a parody of other car chases they wanted to do something different here's clint eastwood you know dirty harry badass guy running from doing all the stunts that they would do in a typical San Francisco car chase mm-hmm. with a tiny remote control RC car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and after seeing that, every time I've seen it since, I've looked at it with, in, with what they were intending to do. And I'm like, this is brilliant. It actually is very smart. And I enjoyed it a lot, th- you know, this time especially. But I, I recall liking it. Um, I, I mean, it could be a better film for sure. But it is a fun, in and out, uh, <laughs> 80s action movie. It is not the 70s grime cop drama that the, and even like early 80s, uh, mm. that the other ones are. This is, it's, it's the equivalent of Clint Eastwood trying to do a Schwarzenegger or Stallone film. And mm. I like those films. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I, I thought this, this rewatch, especially for you know for this podcast i, I watch it two and a half times <laughs> oh, <laughs> for, wow. for, thank you yeah for the re uh re rewatch because i i enjoy it I, I there are some stuff that i remember differently um you know like i said it could be a better film but i my memory was pretty close to what as i was watching it of you know i remember Liam neeson being in it jim carrey <laughs> like i'm sorry yeah. not jim carrey james carrey james carrey yeah i thought that was interesting yeah yeah um, I remember James Carey being a much better actor in the film than he <laughs> than this time, uh, you know, than these rewatches. But 
Um, yeah, I, I had uh, I had a heck of a time, uh, a heck of a good time, I should say, watching this film. I enjoy watching Liam Neeson. Actually, the more I watch it, <laughs> he's uh, he's trying to do a, a British accent. Uh, sorry, you know, an English, a London accent. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right, love. We don't do drugs, Callahan. We make films. <laughs> now, I have, a, I have a question about Liam Neeson. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, I've seen Liam Neeson as a younger man in plenty of films. He's usually not the star. He's He, he was like, like Swan in this. He's, you know, he was like, what, third, second or third uh, build in this movie. You know, he had a big part, but he wasn't the lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, I noticed like nowadays when he's like, gruff and grizzled old action star for like take you know from taking on you know hey i'm coming for you and you know <laughs> I, I have the skills and he's t- he's doing almost a clint eastwood voice in all his movies now man he had the highest pitch he almost sounded like a muppet so do yeah. you think he was reflecting <laughs> his voice in order to do that accent or was he just i think yeah i think I, he added a sharpness to it okay okay because <laughs> I, I it was very distracting because i'm like I, I mean, obviously he's younger and thinner, and all you know, all the stuff like everybody is when they're younger. And, and but I'm like, his voice is so different than what I'm used to, and I didn't remember it being like that. Mm-hmm. I wonder if for North American audiences, obviously the actual villain in the end, at certain points in the movie, they're trying to make it ambiguous: is it Swan's voice or is it the actual killer's killer's mm-hmm. voice? Mm-hmm. And maybe for American North American audiences, no offense, they couldn't discern the sort of difference, and maybe maybe. Maybe Neeson decided to try and make his voice match the other's actors a little bit. Plus, he's also trying to... That, that, North, that North Irish accent so hard. Like, it's so subtle in so many ways to change to a, a London accent. Maybe I, I think know. it's harder for, for Irish actors to do a British accent than it is for them to do an American accent. You might be right. And he... he I, you know, he also... Drew, I, I got the impression, too, because he's a, he's a... You know, he's a B or C level, uh, you know, C-list director. He's doing trash cinema... But he's still, you know, he's still a Hollywood director. And I, I was wondering if it was, you know, he, his way of trying to be that, you know, like he's, he's affecting his voice to be that kind of character. Now, John, you make a good point about whether or not they uh, were trying to match the, the real killer's voice. For myself, uh, watching, uh, watching it this time, I couldn't remember exactly who the killer was. Uh, mm. So it's, at least on, on first one, I'm like I, I knew it wasn't I knew it wasn't Liam Neeson, but whenever the killer and and they did their best to try to make you think Liam Neeson was the killer every time you know the real killer was around, but it was very obvious that it was not the same voice. Okay, at least to me. And I, and unlike in say Dirty Harry, where you have this really well, this super well, like really manipulative killer you know and, and that really kind of gets your gets your emotions going the killer because they decide to hide who the killer is in in this film you haven't you're not connected to to what her dirty harry is doing like you don't feel like there's not like a cat and mouse game between these two characters like i think personally my favorite dirty harry film is magnum force but what i like mm. about both those films is i like the fact that it's kind of dirty harry actually like involved in in a in a in an investigation in an attempt to get this person in various ways, whether he's, you know, hiding on the roof in an attempt to trap the killer or, you know, kind of, uh, kind of going undercover and Magnum Forest to sort of worm his way into this kind of secret society of, of murderous policemen. But whereas this movie, it's, he's never, everything's happening kind of without him being involved in it. You know, he's always just sort of there 
and you have the two different uh, kind of storylines. You have the Gennaro thing where he's, you know, there's a hit out on him and people are shooting at him for that. And then mm-hmm. simultaneously, there are these murders happening, but that have nothing to do with him. He's just kind of walks in and does the most cursory investigation you've ever seen in your life. You know, like they don't even <laughs> like have a scene where he like goes to, to a forensic lab or anything like that to, or talks to anyone. Just at the scene, the guy's like, yeah, it looks like there's some ex- explosive used. Good enough for me. Now I'm off. It's just like, that's weird. You know, it's just, it just feels like he's not that engaged in, in the supposedly the main plot of the film. The last three Dirty Harry movies all suffer from this really being, feeling, uh, what's the word, bifurcated, like two points, mm-hmm. two notes. Yeah, yeah. Like, The Enforcer is so good when it f- concentrates on Tyne Daly's part, in my opinion. Yeah, like, I think she's um, great in that mismatch film. Yeah. between them. Yeah. But the, the, hit, the villains are nothing. They're mm-hmm. just zeros. Um, because they're not, they're not emotionally like, connected to, to Dirty Harry. Like, in, in the first movie, like, the, the, the Zodiac Killer... Or whatever he's called in that Scorpio, he he is he becomes kind of like the the sec, the other side of the coin with Dirty Harry, right? And they have this weird emotional connection in the film, and and the movie like manipulates your emotion so much through the whole film, and you know you just hate you hate Scorpio, and you're you're so happy when Harry's standing on his leg to get the information and stuff like that, you know, like it really <laughs> works as a you know, but but all the other films after that, it's almost like he's not a part of what's happening. He just kind of kind of joins in that at, at moments, you know, and it's, it becomes inexplicable why, like in this film, like when the, when the killer becomes, you know, uh, starts to obsess on him and wants to kill him at the end of the film, it's, it doesn't feel earned or it doesn't feel like that's what, you know, what has he done to make this, this guy really obsess about this? He hasn't even, hasn't prevented him from killing anyone. He, does, he doesn't, you know, like, hasn't like, hasn't affected this guy. Like this guy has been going around murdering people without any problem. Why does he care well, what Harry's doing? Probably the fact that Harry and him survived the, 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 the attack, right? The bomb. I suppose that would irritate a sociopath, wouldn't it? That they'd survived his, his plan, his cunning plan, Brian. Yeah. Well, also wasn't there, I thought there was a scene where, um, uh, Swan was basically saying on the, on, on the news that he was no longer a suspect and it was I'm confirmed by Harry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he uh, and he confirmed that Harry Callahan confirmed that he's not a you know suspect. Mm. So the, that's when the killer was. Yeah, he was. He got. He was like, no, no, no. I got to take Callahan out. Um, <laughs> I guess that's I, a reason, right? And it's but it, it's not as satisfying. Yeah. Again, because the movie attempts to make you think that Liam Neeson is the killer, mm-hmm. and and so. So Harry is not matching wits with the actual killer. He's matching wits with the red herring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and I think if you know, you know, I think I'll get into this a little later. But if they could have made you could been more convincing that Liam Neeson really was the killer, even though he wasn't, so that it was like I don't think they ever did a convincing job, basically, to make me think Liam Neeson was guilty. Yeah, you know, he's he's an he's an a hole, and he's you know he's he. He's a typical Hollywood guy, love and all that good stuff. <laughs> but and, and and he's a good for like like is Liam Neeson and Clint Eastwood together? I think can play quite well together. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I like both both actors. Yeah, I just didn't. I think there could have been more of that. And if there was more of that, that's where you're like Harry's invested in trying to prove that this guy is the killer. Yeah, and Ooh. then you and, and then if there was like shock, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, swerve, he wasn't the whole time. He was say, he was correct. But now he's got to take out the real one, uh, and even if maybe the uh, 
you know, the killer had actually killed uh, Liam Neeson. And then, you know, that could have that could have escalated things or something like that. I, I don't know. It did seem to kind of just all of a sudden focus. And it's like, well, we're done with Liam Neeson now. And now we got to, you know, we got to kill the bad guy. Uh, yeah, I don't so, think, you know, that's... You know. I do like what you're saying there. I don't think it would be good to kill Swan. But, but I do think that um, it would have been actually more interesting if, like, yeah, if he was assigned by his captain, you know, like you've you know, you've messed this up or whatever. Now you, you're, you're responsible for Swan. Like, I want you to, you know, be this yeah. guy's bodyguard. I want you to take care of this guy. And then, so you have that kind of, yeah, that, that mix of these two, this, this British pretentious British director. And then, and then, <laughs> you know, dirty Harry, you know, this, you know, salt of the earth guy. And then that'd be kind of fun, you know, and but I don't think that Swan should kill because I don't think Harry should fail in his mission, but, but yeah, yeah it should get close yeah. or whatever. And I think that would be more compelling if instead of him being the, the target, Swan is the target. So you have Swan in the car, you know, reacting to to this terrifying thing of driving around these streets at high speeds and stuff instead of then instead of harry's partner who is really like a nothing in the movie at all like you know he, we don't know anything yeah. about that guy you don't really care about that guy you don't we know a lot about his granddad we know we know he used to be a hold-up guy you know for protection money when he was a kid and sure just, sure i mean just, but things like, yeah. like we don't really he just says that stuff like i mean i could tell you a ton of lies if you want but it's not gonna it's not gonna convince anyone like so like the problem with films like that is like one of those rules of movies uh, to me one of the main rules of movies is you can't tell me who what someone is you have to show me what someone is if you tell me a guy's tough you have to show me him being tough you can't just say oh this guy's the toughest guy in the world and then you just never show that in the movie you know so if you tell me this guy's like he's got a bad past and all these things like that but we don't really see any, see any sign of that because it's not what the movie's about so that's all just like window dressing for that character but it really doesn't impact on who that character is or what he does in the movie and in every way he just kind of fades out of the film near the end of the, the movie anyway well, I just wanted to, I, I just think it's so good that um, he did team up with a Chinese American because it was good for his image. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> but I mean, that doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. Like you could do that joke at the beginning of the film and then just have that, you know, have that guy kind of sideline by getting injured yeah. the way that they, do, you know, the way they do in every movie. And then uh, earlier in the film and then have the Swan uh, plot where he's looking after Swan because I'd rather see him and Swan in a car tearing around San Francisco. That would be more more fun to me. A terrifying. I, I like though even in that scene, uh, Harry looks frightened when he's driving. He's driving, <laughs> so it's, that's good. I like that. Well, would you would you guys like to know a little background to the movie? It might explain some of the um, some of the reservations you have about the script's logicality and uh, how it plays out. Sure. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. The film was announced by Warner's in January 1988 and then released that same summer. So it was a very quick turnaround. Clint also had Bird in production at the same time, his biopic of Charlie Parker. Have you seen that, Dave? Yeah, I'm not a fan of it, but uh, I did see it in the theaters at the time. Not a fan because... It's very long it's and kind of dull. Or, uh, <laughs> well, I think Warner Brothers agreed, <laughs> and they thought the Deadpool was a better summer movie, Why? While Bird might do, you know, a bit later on in the year. Yeah, I think it came out in like November or something. I seem to remember. Yeah, it was filmed first, but came out second. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Because that's the other thing I was wondering about is how dedicated uh, Clint Eastwood was to this film when he's in the middle of producing like his dream project. Because that's what Bird was, and that's why it's kind of boring because it's this way too, um, it's way too like reverential to to the to the Charlie Parker. So rather than being like this kind of fun 
funny movie about this kind of character, jazz character who did a lot of crazy things in his life, you know, like, like, you know, when he did this famous concert actually here in Canada in Toronto, there's like four of these kind of superstar bebop artists like Dizzy Gillespie and him. And I think Max Roach and I can't remember who played bass, but they did this big show at this, um, auditorium in, in, um, in Toronto. And before the show though, uh, Charlie Parker, he, uh, he pawned his saxophone to get some, get some drugs. And then when he showed up at the show, he, he just had this little plastic saxophone that he played for this, like this monumental concert, you know, like, but that's not even mentioned in the film. Like there's, there's no like fun to it. It's all really kind of dour and, and you don't get any sense of like the, the beauty of the music he played or the magic of it. It's, it's just very kind of a sour feeling film to me. But anyway, I just kind of wonder how like dedicated uh, Clint Eastwood was to to this project, to the Clint, the Dirty Harry project, when he's like doing this dream project at the same time. It seems very strange to me. Well, not at all, Dave. Pretty much the same story as when the Enforcer was out. He was doing post production on the outlaw Josie Wales, and also sticking it up his new girlfriend Sandra Locke. So he's a bit distracted <laughs> um, in both projects. Um, in the end, Bird made next to nothing. I think they've two million or something, a budget of fifteen. So they concurred with your with your review, David. And Clint wouldn't make a biopic for another twenty years, really. So we what was his that. next one? It was not a biopic, but Flags of Our Fathers, I guess. Oh, okay. Oh, that, yeah. those, yeah, sort of more like kind of, life, fixed, yeah. yeah, yeah. The two films, the, the letters from Iwo Jima and then Flags of Our Fathers, yeah. were those yeah. came out at the same time, right? Yeah, that's right. They were very close. Yeah. And those are good films, but yeah, I'm not putting him down enough. as a director. I just, I just found the bird is, I don't think is a great film. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I've only watched the first hour and a half, and that was some years ago, and I stopped. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I think you've answered my my criticisms. But I'm a non-jazzer, so to me, it's a bit boring. <laughs> yeah, I, <see. laughs> I like I like jazz, and but I, I just not, I was not a fan of that film. I'm not a fan. I kind of wrote down off the top of my head my favorite films of that year, and it was not on the list. No. Die Hard. Die Hard on the list for sure, yeah. I'll I'll tell you what my list is. Here we go. It's uh, A Fish Called Wanda, Mm -hmm. Die Hard, Midnight Run, The Last Temptation of Christ, Dead Ringers, and They Live. Those are my favorite films of of 1988. I I, I keep a yearly track of what I watch on on films. I have a notebook of (laughs) what I watched every year. Come on, you guys, hurry up! You forgot your fortune cookie. What?! So you think you know what Dirty Harry's up to? Take another look. Clint Eastwood is Dirty Harry. He's just learned a new game. The Deadpool. Interesting, Eagley, around the time Clint was making this movie, he also considered making a film called Cry Macho, which he decided to do the Deadpool over that film, which he just completed a year ago cry macho i think in december of 2020 that's his latest film so what is it cry macho yeah cry macho can you spell that for Sorry, me macho yeah cries in and then macho machismo m-a-c-h-o cry macho yeah. that is a weird title but okay is it about toxic masculinity or <laughs> <laughs> that seems pretty early on for that kind of study but <laughs> right <laughs> and odd for clint eastwood yeah yeah <laughs> Well, I think in the same way that he, he sort of mentored um, his Hmong partner in, um, what's the movie? Gran Torino. It, it seemed, the synopsis of the film seems to be him mentoring a, uh, a wayward kid in a car journey back from New Mexico or something. That's what I've read. Huh. 
I'm in for it. I'm in. I'm, that sounds good, actually. You know, I like, I like uh, Clint Eastwood in kind of an odd couple film. That's good. The rumor was that Eastwood only made the Deadpool to pay back Warner Brothers for his less 80s uh, commercial projects, like Bronco Billy and... What's the other one? Honky Tonk Man. Honky Tonk Man, yeah. Or, you know, the sort of George Clooney, the George Clooney type deal, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, it came out pretty quickly. Um, it was the only Dirty Harry film ever released in summer, so that's boding not well for it. All the others were released at Christmas. Mm. It has the shorting running time, shortest running time yeah. of any Dirty Harry film, which I know doesn't normally have to mean anything per se, but I think in this instance it does. The the plot's pretty pretty thin, I think, as we've discussed. It's, it's thin, and I think um, I think at that time, like when did Rocky Four come out? That was eighty five, and that was like Roughly. ninety. Yeah, it was like ninety minutes. It was like in and out, and I think that was very common. Action movie, ninety minutes. You know, you're, you're not gonna. We didn't get the two three hour you know epics <laughs> that we got uh, now or in the seventies. They it was. In I wonder and out. if it was yeah. the rental market that kind of was driving that as a. Because, you know, you had a length of a tape that you had to think about. You know, you didn't want to have to have two tapes to be rented at the store. So keep it I, short. I, yeah, that's true. And it, I think a lot of those films, as much as I love them, they are turn off your brain, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or just how much, you know, how much, how many times can you see Schwarzenegger kill the same guy over and over again? You know, <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, even, even with Rocky Four, Rocky Four, half the movie's padded with montages. So, I mean, that movie would have been, you know, an hour if they didn't do that. So <laughs> I think I think part of Rocky Four was shot here in Vancouver. Actually, nice. I think the box I boxing sequence. Uh, I was going to say the Russian parts. <laughs> yeah, no, no, because we're not. We have no snow here, so you have to. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it could be. Uh, I know the Russian sequences for Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol were filmed here. So yeah, it just depends. I can dress it up. By 1988, I think you can say that cop movies had well and truly arrived in the 80s, 90s form. You know, if got, since the last movie's come out, you've had Beverly Hills Cop and 48 Hours and Lethal Weapon the year before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we even had parodies of Dirty Harry. Do you, do you remember Sledgehammer, um, Dave? I, no, I don't. Oh, it's sort of like a TV parody, like a Naked Gun style. Oh, okay. It was on TV. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I was thinking to myself, was it a TV show actually? Yeah. No, I do remember the TV. I don't remember watching it, but I do remember it as a thing. So you've actually got direct parodies of Dirty Harry on TV at the same time the Deadpool comes out. Yeah. I'm not a big TV watcher, so I don't... Sledgehammer was amazing. That was something my father and I used to watch. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, John Vernon reprises his sort of vague role as the mayor in there as well. So. Good Canadian boy. Now, the actual script of the Deadpool was, <laughs> makes you laugh, was written by Clint's friends in Big Palmer, <laughs> P, uh, a guy called Pearson and a guy called Shaw, who he'd met through Merv Griffith of all, or, is it Griffin or Griffith? Griffin. In late 1970s, yep. Yeah, Merv Griffin. Uh, they were a pair of nutritionists from MIT. <laughs> they, developed a, they developed a program they called Life Extension that basically promised improved personal appearance, reduced anxiety, and longer life. Basically boiling down to a lot of mega-dosing of vitamins and minerals coupled with extreme exercise. So you have really um, colorful pee. Hmm. Yeah. I think Clint Eastwood must have been subscribing to that, because that man's a beast even still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. although I think he's kind of showing his, his age in this film, but... Uh... 
Uh, Clint's daily regimen was, according to their life extension program, he included three mile jogs, two hours in the gym every day, and two sessions of meditation with a low fat, high vegetable, meatless diet, save for an occasional cheeseburger. <laughs> that sounds like something that will keep you living longer than uh, mega dosing of vitamin C. Do they do that in the Marines, Brian? That sort of a, that sort of a hard living. No, no. You should see the food they give us in the chow hall, and then uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe uh, you know, maybe the you know two three mile run, you know, <laughs> and uh, but you're not spending two hours in the gym. You're you might do a hundred <laughs> push ups, but you know. <laughs> yeah, my my uh, my dad served in the U.S. Uh, U.S. military, and he was in the army. And yes, he had a he had a name for a crude name for a food that was uh, served in the in the cafeteria or whatever, the dining hall, yeah, the mess hall. Can you repeat it here? I don't know. Do you have a explicit rating? No, no, not at all. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a shit and a shingle is what he called it. So, and he would serve it to us when we were kids. He would basically, I think, just beans on toast, and he'd just say, "Here you go. Here's your shit and a shingle." <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Did your mum? Did your mum go? No, it was always given to us when mum wasn't home. It was one of his specialties: either pancakes or beans on toast were his two his two standbys. That's a dad meal right there. That's a dad dinner. Exactly. <laughs> Clint wouldn't eat that shit. Eat that shit. <laughs> Not when he was he filming, anyway. By, he swore by the life extension regime, claiming it improved his ability to talk to interviewers, which in the past had always caused him a bit of anxiety. Oh, really? Uh, reflected in uneasy word flow. I think that still persists today if you mm-hmm. listen to him. He's not the most cogent, um, articulate man. <laughs> but uh, he later claimed it's it helped him stave off reading glasses until the early 90s. <laughs> Sure, I guess he had a lot of carrot juice as part of the regime. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pearson and Shaw had already worked as technical advisors on Firefox. I don't understand how that works. I mean, the nutritionists, not aviation experts. No, nah, that just sounds like they're trying to give your buddies uh, a, a job. Yeah, basically. they're just getting they're just getting some uh, cash on the side. They're probably already he was already using their their uh, regimen, so he was probably just giving them a little bit of. A little bit of money through the through the production. Eastwood's purchase of the Deadpool screenplay was a payback to them for helping him keep fit enough to be able to make another Dirty Harry film. <laughs> Can I ask how old he was when he made this film? Do you know? He was fifty-eight. Yeah. Wow. He, well, that's interesting. Just two years earlier, he was he did Heartbreak Ridge, and he's in phenomenal shape in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. He, he, I mean, he's in pretty good shape. Like, there's a scene where he's running, and you know, he's still pretty, pretty good shape. But you can see in his like body, his body's starting to change into sort of an old manish body. And then there's a scene where the car, he's climbing out of the car when it flips over, and and my wife said, "How, how long did it take him to climb out of that car?" <laughs> yes, he looked well, a little his, old. Um, his hair is crazy throughout most of the film, and I feel like when he had that buzz cut in Heartbreak Ridge, it it really mm-hmm. did give him that badass kind of look as opposed to just the crazy old man kind of look he was starting to get you know his hair was hairline was kind of receding at this point so yeah as it does god damn it <laughs> i have a heart condition a critic with a heart that's a laugh so yes once again like the enforcer clint was prepared to be hands-off so for directing judy he recruited from in-house again not james fargo but this time his uh, body double stuntman buddy van horn hmm. 
also known as Wayne. Uh, Wayne Van Horn. Interestingly enough, one of Clint's early movies in the 50s before uh, Rawhide, even Lady Godiva of Coventry. Uh, Buddy Van Horn, about the same age as Clint, was also a stunt double in that. Cool. Uh, uh, Pikachu, when he was on our show, he... He he talked about Buddy Van Horn a bit. He he got to know him a little bit, and he he kind of explained that uh, you know it, it was actually uh, minute episode fifty three of Heartbreak Ridge. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, he he went into detail about you know just meeting different people who had worked for Clint uh, since since Rawhide days. There was I think the costumer he met um, you know was the same from Rawhide days. Glenn Wright, I think yes. Yeah, and Buddy Van Horn. He even said he's like you know Clint's taking care of me. Uh, Clint, Clint went up to him early on, was like, um, you know, you're kind of like, you kind of look like me, you're kind of my build, um, uh, you know, whatever. And he's like, you're my guy. And he said he's always taken care of Buddy Van Horn his, his whole career. He had a nice living. He he always gave him small roles, speaking speaking roles so that he could be get his SAG card and, and uh, you know, get, get his insurance and all that good stuff. And he just kept him gamefully employed throughout. It, he was his body double a lot of times, too, like for, for shots. When Clint's directing, he needs somebody to stand there, Buddy Van Horn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Clint, uh, Clint Eastwood seems like a pretty nice guy in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'm going to put a small caveat on that. He can be very loyal, but according to Scuttlebutt, he can equally be his van- a little bit vindictive, vindictive yeah. if you cross him. So, yeah. Ask Sandra Locke about that and mm-hmm. see how she feels. But yeah. I've also actually recently heard a story, and I tried to confirm this with uh, with Pete Koch, and, and unfortunately, he, I mean, it was such a random, stupid question on my part, but uh, <laughs> it was that Clint Eastwood's son, um, the one that's in Honky Talk Man. I Kyle. Yeah, Kyle. Yeah, Kyle. Kyle. Yep, not Scott. He tried out for the role of Karate Kid, and he didn't get it. At the time, Warner was it Warner Brothers? Wh- whoever owned uh, whoever did Columbia, sh- I think. Uh, okay, yeah, they owned Coca Cola, and the, and because of that, they said that Clint Eastwood barred all Coca Cola products from <laughs> from his sets from then on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a funny story. <laughs> yeah, I can see. I mean, if you have like a if you're loyal to other people, then you expect the same thing back to you. So. You know, it's really kind of hard, especially in a place like Hollywood, where you're trying to make a career for yourself, you know, and I guess, you know, you start to feel like, you know, like, yeah, I've been your editor for all these films, but I kind of want to like move on and do other movies and stuff, Clint. But, you know, I guess he feels like, well, listen, I have been supporting you all this time. So, you you owe me something. And I guess that can be a real, yeah, that could be a problem sometimes. I can see that. Buddy Van Horn was also a stuntman earlier in It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World which I, I think um, David has complex opinions on. He was in Spartacus as well. He teamed up with Clint first in Coogan's Bluff and worked with him really up until J. Edgar. Um, funny fact, he also seems to have done stunt work the same year as the Deadpool on Crocodile Dundee 2. Oh. Weird. The same year you direct a film, you also go, yeah, I'm going to do some stunt work on another movie. Yeah, why spend time in development? Yeah, <laughs> but you're not going to turn down a sweet project like Crocodile Dundee 2, though. <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, you're like, this probably be as big as the first one. <laughs> right? Get some sweet points. But would, wouldn't it be funny to read in the trades like, oh, Buddy Van Helen, isn't he directing now? Oh, he's, <laughs> he's, in, he's in Darwin doing some stunt work. <laughs> you may not even know. It feels like this movie kind of snuck into theaters. They filmed it in four days, it sounds like. so. 
It, it shows it. It shows at times too. But I mean, it's announced in January and comes out in August. Like that's a that's a fast <laughs> turnaround for a movie. I don't care how, how good the nutritionists are who wrote it. I think I read four <laughs> four months from the start of principal photography yeah. to the time it was released. That's that is. I mean, there's not a lot to this movie. No, and, right. I, and Clint, Clint is known. I mean, he's known for you know a quick turnaround on his sets, anyways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that is still pretty fast. Yeah, it always amazes me that Michael Cimino was allowed to direct one of his movies. It's, like, it's, yeah, that guy's not fast. So. <laughs> Uh, Buddy Van Horn was also the fencing instructor in Under the Rainbow, which I, I like that film. I have good memories of that. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one with Carrie Fisher where it's all about the making of uh, Wizard of Oz? That's right. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. A lot of little people in that movie. I don't like your list, Swan. I don't like being on it. Oh, that's, that's what this is really all about, isn't it? Well, if you've got a charge to make... Maybe I'll start my own Deadpool and put you on it. You threatening me? You want to play the game. You better know the rules, love. So, yeah, I, I don't know. We've, we've sort of already talked about the plot. On, on paper, it sounds pretty good, you know? It could be... Is this going to be like the original Dirty Harry? Harry's tracking down a serial killer again? Could it be Shades of Andy Robinson? But, nah, as you said, Dave, there's no investigation or anything. Well, there's no cat and mouse game. There's no relationship between them at all like they don't even like meet each other once they don't the the cat again like i my point is that the cat and mouse is liam neeson you know and and it's harry and swain that's the cat and mouse you're supposed i think you're supposed to think he could be the killer um yeah but they don't do it they don't do it very well they don't yeah that's the i mean uh, like I'll admit, uh, uh, you know, I said I like this film. Yeah, and I, I enjoyed it, and I, I it's something I would put on probably a lot more than the other ones. But at, at the same time, I do realize it's flaws. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you maybe you might have a sentimental attachment to it too that that uh, we don't have, so that that might. Uh, you know, possibly, I don't want to change your like, mind. I just you know, I have like specific ideas of what I think a movie should have in it. You know, yeah. like in terms of story and the way plot should work. So. I'm like super strict about that. So when they when they when it doesn't meet my 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 uh, draconian ideas of what a movie is, <laughs> I get all mad. Well, it, it, as long as it's I mean I as long as it's not like stupid, I like these kind. It's it is almost a campy kind of movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like I recently watched RoboCop three. Did had no attachment to that as yeah. a kid. I loved the first one. I had memories of going to see the second one in the theater. Mm-hmm. I I kind of missed the third one, but I, I rewatched it. And I, it's the dumbest movie. It is not good. It is not hold up like what the first one is like a classic. Yeah, yeah. And I, lo- there was so much, so many good, silly moments in that movie that reminds me of stuff that's in the Deadpool. You know, just just one liners and stupid kind of shooting, and 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 it's just all over the place. And I'm like, this is this movie is phenomenal because <laughs> I, I had a good time watching it. Yeah, yeah. I had a good time watching Deadpool. Um, in anticipation of of us recording, you know, I I, I mean, I, I knew it enough even before watching it. Of course, I needed to refresh my memory, but I liked it enough that I'm like, I'm going to go back and watch it again just to make sure I'm I caught everything. Yeah, and I, yeah, know, oh, that's I'm, good. <laughs> and I, but I, I it wasn't a chore. It was a it was a pleasure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the fact that you can't even remember the plot really, or you have to constantly say, "Hang on, how did they how did they end up finding the killer?" It was just. His partner checked a list of people, right? Or 
they just drill down on Swan. Or oh, do you have any enemies? They should have asked him that at the start. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. Is there any crazy person who's who's like overly focused on you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like like if this was a TV show, like if this was like a whodunit, like you know, like any 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 sort of you know cop show like that. They would have, you know, they would have gone to, hey, who's your enemy? Well, we get all this, you know, crazy fan mail and this person's a psycho and they confront that person and, and there's like a misunderstanding and no, I was doing this or oh, I was. And then you'd have to go find the real killer. Mm-hmm. No, in this movie, they just were like, yeah, no, it's this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not even, they don't even kind of red herring that. They, yeah, they don't, it's just, I don't know. It just, yeah, it just feels like a movie. And obviously when you tell, when you say how it was written, well, now I know it was written by people who don't really do do movies. So they don't mm. really understand the mechanism of what they're doing, you know. I wonder if they even saw a Dirty Harry movie before. Right, that that Clint Eastwood. It, like this is a Clint Eastwood movie. I don't even really feel like it's a Dirty Harry movie mm-hmm. that much. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a Clint Eastwood movie. It's a Clint Eastwood action movie. They yeah. could have called him something else and it would have been an entertaining movie. They you know, they attach the name Dirty Harry because they thought it would be a marketable summer film to kind of uh, you know, make a little money on. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'd rather watch Tightrope, the movie that came out the year before this one. Yeah. Uh, where at least you have the fun of watching Clint Eastwood try to do a New Orleans accent in the movies. It's kind of entertaining, his off and on accent, you know. But there's a lot, lots of compelling parts, and there's parts where he acts really well in that movie. Like, he really, like, you know, there's a scene where he's, like, charming uh, Genevieve Bujold's character, and it's, like, really, like, effective. And you're like, wow, where is this in movies? Yeah, well, it has it has echoes of the first movie where you know he, is he is his sexual de- uh, deviancy is he like Scorpio mm-hmm. with the killer in uh, yeah. in Tightrope? So it's got that going for it again. And even though you don't you don't really see the killer, he gets decapitated, doesn't he? At the end, and, it's been a while yeah, since I watched a lot, them. <laughs> a lot more engaging than this movie. Yeah, even the rookie. I think I think the rookie Brian. Have you seen that with Charlie Sheen? I, I enjoy that movie. There's a yeah. Overall, I like that one. I think that could have been fashioned into a Dirty Harry movie a bit easier. Yes. And I think, yes. you know, there must be a hundred reasons why I don't kill you right now. <laughs> That's a lot better than yeah. shit out of luck and swell. Yeah, it's fun watching Clint Eastwood, like, interact with another actor, you know, and have that kind of, like, the sandpaper and, and you know, kind of the two things rubbing against each other, you know. And and you don't get that with his partner in this film at all. And yeah, I do. that's why I like uh, Brian's idea so much of having Swan, <laughs> having Swan in it more. Like, I think that would have been way better. I'm like, oh, let's rewrite it. Let's do that movie instead. That's a way better movie. I repeat, nothing is going to stop me from making this film. End of interview. Mr. Swan, And it wouldn't do to have our newest hero turned into Swiss cheese before the commendation comes through. Do you have any kids, Lieutenant? No. Lucky for them. The game's over! Whatever they're paying you, Harry, couldn't be enough. Tell me, why on your set use drugs? We don't do drugs, Callahan. We do film. This is what you wanted. An exclusive interview. (sighs) Homicide can be really glamorous. Maybe my muscles won't contract and drive this knife into her throat. (gasps) Warnings. Death threats. I get so many, I don't even pay attention to them anymore. And what's that? Hello. It's like the wheel from the toys. 
next. Shoot me, Callahan. Maybe you'll get lucky. What is this? Why the fuck are you people harassing me? I'm gonna kill you slow! Callahan, you son of a bitch! Don't make me come in and get you. You're out of bullets. Yeah. No, Harry, it might not be such a bad idea to start playing it a little safe. Harry, I'm being serious, huh? Don't go anywhere you normally go. Don't even go home. You can stay with me. Yes. That's the shot I'm looking for. Is your film Hotel Satan cursed? People can believe whatever the hell they want. You don't ah! know! I know who I am. The Village Voice said the Deadpool is, quote, a sequel with no aspirations beyond predictable entertainment. End quote. I think that basically concurs with your assessment, uh, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, it's, I mean, I kind of take that as they're saying is almost a bad thing. (laughs) There's nothing wrong wrong with that. Yeah. I I want predictable. Like, that's why, like, I mean, some people complain that the Marvel movies, like the MCU, they're like kind of formulaic. Mm -hmm. I like those movies. I know what I'm getting when I go in. (laughs) Nobody's, nobody's subverting my expectations and and ruining my franchise. You know, I'm, I'm having, I'm going to go in and have a good time and and a good action film and, and some character heart. And I'm going to, you know, and I might cry and I might laugh and I might pump my fist and I'm going to have a good time, even if, even in the lesser ones. So it's like, yeah, I want consistency. And, and when I go to see a movie, when it's the fifth movie called Dirty Harry, you know, I want to see, I, like, I think we've already established it. Maybe this movie doesn't live up to the, <laughs> to the, to the rest of the movies. Of, yeah. Are, well, the first two anyway. Yeah. Exa- well, exactly. However... Clint Eastwood in it as a cop in an action movie in the late 80s. And did I have a good time? Yep. And and, and it, yeah, was it predictable? Yep. <laughs> Will I watch it again? Yep. <laughs> you know, so it, it's it's okay. You know, it's okay to be like that. Mm. You're not going to win any awards doing that. And unfortunately, it sounds like they didn't make a lot of money doing it either. But I think Clint Eastwood, I think, you know, people maybe at the time, and I, I, I'm just, this is just speculation. You know, Clint Eastwood was he wasn't the young dirty Harry or the young cowboy anymore. He was, it's kind of like, Oh, here's, here's, you know, here's the old guy trying to relive his past. You know, people may just not have been interested in dirty Harry. We had Schwarzenegger, we had Stallone, we had, you know, Rambo, we had all that stuff. Yeah. Um, It it was different, you know, different, different type of action stars now at that time. If you were imitating those films like like uh, Commando or or uh, Cobra and stuff like that, like you needed more firepower, you needed more excitement. Like in this movie, the the shooting scenes are really, uh, like they're just so t- tossed off. Like they just it's just bang bang bang, everyone's dead. End of scene. Like there's no there's no shooting back and forth. There's no sense of like bigness. There's no there's no defenestration, which is a big part of these movies. Like they had a scene <laughs> in a, you know in the glass elevator, and they didn't like have glass ra- raining down on everything. You know, like where was all the glass? Yeah. They didn't feel like they were in a glass elevator. You had this chance for all kinds of broken glass to happen, and it wasn't even part of that sequence. Like it just felt they just it was just, just kind of halfway there for me and i you know and i'm not a huge fan of of those films like commando and stuff like that i i kind of missed them as a teenager i was a bit of a snob when i was when i was a, a teenager I actually it was like die hard that kind of turned my head and went oh 
these movies are kind of good. Actually, no, Predator, sorry, Predator kind of turned my, my head and I, I said, oh, these movies are really great. Like, <laughs> why was I ignoring them? But then when I, when I went back to watch those other ones, I was kind of like, ah, eh, they're all right. So, yeah. Well, you know, I'm glad you said Die Hard because what they should have done in that scene is uh, Callahan should have lost his shoes and he should have <laughs> had a run through, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 1988, the same year as well. Uh, Die Hard... Die Hard had pretty much the same budget as this movie. Wow. Where did the, mo- where did the money for Deadpool go? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Into the RC car. That took a lot of work, probably. <laughs> well, I was probably into, uh, probably into the health fitness uh, uh, side of things. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it, yeah, it feels like this movie was just a boondoggle to get money into some nutritionist pockets. The drugs certainly didn't remove the, uh, the vein in his temple. Did you notice that? It's really it's getting. I mean, I sort of noticed it a bit in, in Heartbreak Ridge, but here it's uh, quite full. Quite it's prominent. prominent. Yeah. yeah I, I, it's, it's, no, it's more noticeable as he ages, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. That's fine. It's part of his acting style to have the throbbing vein. Yeah. <laughs> it's just part of his look, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, David, your wife is a teacher, right? She is. And I, I understand teachers have a good command of knowing when to go soft to command respect. Which is, <laughs> I don't know. Is the Clint style. <laughs> no, to draw them in, and comedians too, is that like to handle hecklers and whatever, yeah, yeah. talk softly or whatever. Does Clint's soft voice work in this new action era of the 80s? He's, you know, he's just sort of, sl- you know, rather than the Arnold, now, 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 to the chopper. Like, does it work? <laughs> <laughs> well... Well, yes, it works in a movie where it's where it it's apt, I guess. But does it work in this movie? I mean, but, but the new breed of cop needs to shout and be frantic and uh, can't be sort of uh, soft and reserved. Yeah, like John John McClane yells a lot. You know, he, yeah, he's yeah. frantic and he talks really fast too. He's a fast. He's got a yeah. real patter. And right. yeah. No, maybe yeah, maybe you're maybe you're right. Maybe the 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 age of the the stoic, you know, hero is kind of over, and we we needed. Although, do we really want to hear Sylvester Stallone talking in a movie? Like <laughs> when you watch First Blood, you can't understand a word he says at the end of the movie. You just what is he? What are you talking about? <laughs> shy, shy. <laughs> Someone turn on the subtitles, please. <laughs> but. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you could have a point there. Maybe that. Maybe it just doesn't work. Like it's not. It's not engaging enough. But you know, if he had something to say, you know, it might, it might work. I don't know. Like what? Like okay. So, um, every movie, every Dirty Harry movie has like a catchphrase, right? Yep. And so, what? what uh, sudden impact was uh, read my lips. Was that the? No, make my day. Oh, make my day. That was make my day. Okay. That was George Bush that said read my read my lips. Okay. I thought he. I thought he took it from. I thought he took it from a Dirty Harry movie. Reagan. Reagan took it. Yeah, Reagan took Go Ahead, Make My Day. Oh, okay, okay. I see, I see. And so... um, Dave. Yes? This one is confusing. It's like the Enforcer. It's not clear what the catchphrase is. I see. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. In the Enforcer, it's it's really just marvelous, isn't it, Brian? Marvelous. Uh, Which he repeats in this film. Honestly, I was going to say, I don't even... There's no catchphrase. I'm so unaware of what it is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I disagree. I think this one, it was very obvious because even as a kid, I knew the catchphrase was you're shit out of luck. And I, and it's still one of my favorites and I've used it <laughs> in my personal life, you know, because <laughs> okay. it's, it's one, it's the ending of this movie. And that phrase is something that I remembered as a kid, even when I wasn't watching these movies on a regular basis. Okay. okay. I guess because it's, 
I guess it's because something it's it's you know I've heard it commonly used. I didn't really think of it. Oh, that was what a. But maybe that's where it, it came out. Yeah, it didn't catch on as do you feel lucky, punk? Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it didn't catch on as as much as you know. Go ahead, and make my day, which was huge. Yeah. Uh, but I, 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 and I read somewhere that you know this almost, especially at the end when he's like, "Oh, you're out of bullets." Well, that's like you know, do you, it's almost kind of like did he count? Did he shoot seven? You know, it's 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 a, a take on that. But the to me, the shit out of luck. I mean. Do people remember it? I don't know. I did. And, <laughs> and I like it, you know. And for, in that scene when he says that to the guy, I was hoping that um, when he um, when he takes the gun away, I was hoping he would fire it and it would actually shoot. Like he just he just kind of, uh, you know, kind of tricked the guy by telling him the gun was out of bullets. So the guy didn't bother trying to shoot him. So I just thought that'd be kind of a, a funny part. But they didn't do that. And I was like, ah, oh, too bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he says swell. More than he says, uh, he only says shit out of luck in the restaurant, doesn't he, Brian? Yeah, he says it. Um, yeah, th- that's the setup because you know, in in the, well, like in the first one, he said it. You know, do you feel lucky, punk? Twice, and so that yeah, that was the setup. He said it in the restaurant, which to me, I actually think I like that better because he goes, "You forgot your fortune cookie," and he opens it and he smiles and he says, "It says." You're shit out of luck. And then he just stands up and shoots the guy in a crowded restaurant right in the chest. <laughs> and he shoots everybody else, too, for a good measure. And he shoots someone in the back as well. Yes. <laughs> well, that's why he's dirty. You know, like, that's the thing. It's like, he's dirty, hairy. He's going to, he doesn't care. He's just going to, he's just going to shoot them if they're running away or not. He's going <laughs> to, you know, he, he cares about justice, not about the law. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it in, yeah, Unforgiven where he says, he was unarmed. Well, he should have armed himself then. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Well, and that's what you know, and that's why why people either respond to Dirty Harry because it's like he's a cop, but he's he's kind of seen as a vigilante almost, which is why I like um uh you know I like the one where he's he's the cop the dirty cops thought he would be the perfect yeah, one magnum to join force, the ranks yeah, yeah. yeah magnum force is right and he's like no no he's he's not he's not like them he's not a vigilante he just you know he just gets the job done and he'll break bend the rules he won't break them mm-hmm. <laughs> but by the time the 80s runs around it's like the heck with you guys we're blowing you away you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's so perfunctory yeah, it's, that it's it's yeah well like in the very first scene you know the very first action scene where they tip the car and he's fighting Gennaro's men. Yeah, yeah. And he and he pops out. The music is almost this like triumphant, like <laughs> and he shoots both the guys directly in the head. <laughs> yeah, like just yeah. doesn't even aim. He just you know points and he shoots them both in the head. And then he and he scares the other guy off who had the the Uzi or the machine gun or whatever there was that was shooting at him. They almost wait to be shot by him, though. <laughs> yes, oh, they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The scene, too, where he chases after him after the elevator, one of the guys basically kind of puts his gun down so that Harry can shoot him, and, he goes, <laughs> and then he just keeps running. So it's like yeah. it's like, it's like in, it's like in uh, kung fu movies where if everybody just rushed the guy at once, you know, they'd probably beat him, but they all wait for their turn to get beat up, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's that's a good thing about Jackie Chan movies. They don't they he just everyone just goes at once. It's all it's a big big melee. But um, <laughs> yeah, the, I just well like I was saying I, I really I just find all the shooting sequences so perfunctory because no, like there's never any there's no back and forth there's there's no there's, there's no sense of danger to him like he just you know quickly just finishes everyone off with a with with his with his trusty uh, magnum and then 
Scene's over. They've, they've got it down to a fine art, you know. <laughs> These are obligatory scenes. Laser focus. Urban violence. Obviously, the one in Sudden Impact in the cafe, you know, make my day, I think that's a bit more effective mm-hmm. than the... Uh, but I, I think you're right, Brian. I much prefer Shit Out of Luck than Make My Day. I don't know. Make My Day was always... I never, it never captured my imagination. Make My Day is good because it it uh, it's a, it it's challenges the person the same way that Do You Feel Lucky challenged the guy. And so they kind of they kind of echo each other in a way, whereas Shit Out of Luck is just, you know, it's funny, but... It's a one-liner before you get killed is what Shit Out of Luck is. Yeah, basically that's what they're doing. <laughs> We've seen how Harry lives, like... He's just a flat, emotionally dead person. He, I don't believe he even gets a... He doesn't get any sort of satisfaction out of killing anyone. You know, I don't think it really... I don't think it would make his day, actually, at all. <laughs> if anything, it would just be a pain in the ass for all the paperwork he has to do afterwards. It's time we took advantage of all the press you've been getting, Callahan. How do you propose to do that, Lieutenant? It's my opinion that at the moment you'd be serving this department best by working with me in public relations. I don't think you realize what you've done for the department's image, Callahan. I mean, you just put a major crime figure in prison. You've got an extremely high visibility right now. Harry. And for once, it's positive. You know what that means in terms of recruitment? I mean, look at this. Look at this copy we're getting. My God, we haven't been this swamped with requests for interviews since I don't know when. I'm not some dog and pony act. It's important that we maximize your public relations value while we can. I don't feel like getting close and personal with any reporters. That's not my job. Your job is to promote the positive image of this department. Well, how positive would the image be if I resigned, Lieutenant? Sounds to me like this Deadpool thing is making you a little paranoid, Callahan. Oh, yeah. I heard about it. Good news travels fast. Big fucking media hero. Hero today and gone tomorrow. Now, what do you guys think about... At the start of the movie, they toy with this idea that doesn't really... It sort of peters out, doesn't go anywhere, that Harry's now a celebrity cop. I suppose now that vigilantes are sort of cool. I don't know if that's Reagan-era type stuff, but they never really do anything with that. What Did you... Where's the tension there if um, the PR guy, he threatens to quit? I thought that was out of character for Harry. Well, he, I, I mean, he does quit at the end of Dirty Harry, but... um. Quits after every movie, really. <laughs> right. <laughs> this movie changes it. He quits at the beginning. <laughs> I thought that was out of character, Brian. Did you? I mean, a little bit. Uh, but I, I, at the same time, I was kind of thinking, I'm like, well, he is getting, you know, I, like I'm looking at, you know, post Heartbreak Ridge, you know, he's getting close to retirement. <laughs> so, you know, they, so he's not going to do play their games. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, yes, because he could, he could still testify against Gennaro uh, in court after he's retired because he still will have that investigation and he still would have done it and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, at least I think, I think that's how it would work. Uh, you know, he could still do his job if that was his last case. And I think it was, I think it was, um, he was bluffing is really what I thought. I don't think he would have actually quit, but they got the point across. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to play, you know, PR boy. Yeah, that's what know. it was, right? He's not. He's just. He's not challenging them, them as a policeman. He's challenging them as the local celebrity in the st- in the in the police force. And he's saying, you know, you could try and use me. You know, you can try and manipulate me to become a media darling, but I'll just quit. I don't. He's not talking about I'll quit as a policeman. He's just saying I will quit because I don't want to be a media star. I'm not quitting as a policeman. I'm quitting as this you know stooge who's being used to 
to make the police force look good, you know, to up. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a pompous political mm-hmm. lieutenant who's just more worried about um, appearances yeah. than than actual police work and getting the job done. Again, you know, he's the one that, you know, said, well, I think, you know, partnering Callahan with a Chinese American is great for, uh, you know, great yeah. for, for yeah. the department, you know, <laughs> and everybody just rolls their eyes and, you yeah. know, Harry, Harry gives him a sideway look. Even the captain is just like, oh, geez. Well, he should, because he would say, well, you know, I was partnered with a Latino guy back in the day and, <laughs> and I was one of the first guys to be partnered with a woman and I, we worked well together, you know, until she got killed, unfortunately. I think that's what happened in that movie, right? Harry should have yep. already, uh, yeah, sorry, he, like he should have already been a celebrity based on everything that he's already done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I don't think it's that kind of Peter's out, but also that that character of that that lieutenant who who keeps coming around and and being all media savvy. I, I don't think they use him very much in the rest of the movie, so you don't. No. So that um that that little conflict kind of goes goes by the wayside, and then a- the Patricia Clarkson character, who we haven't really talked about at all, but who has like a kind of big role in the film, but it's like unduly big because her role isn't. Like, she's not, it doesn't feel like she wants to get Harry. Like, it'd be cool if she was, like, like a, an investigative reporter rather than some former model who's fallen into being a, 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 a talking head on television. If she was, like, some hard as nails, you know, kind of, kind of um, you know, uh, I don't know, report, you know, n- journalist and not just, a, not just a, a, a talking head on television, but an actual, like, journalist, someone who had investigative skills, you know, and maybe it'd be kind of funny if... If instead of Harry, she's the one who keeps like finding clues that keeps the investigation going because he's so distracted by all this stuff happening. Well, of course, she did break the Deadpool, didn't she? She the kid, well, but yeah. I mean that was intentionally done, right? The guy sent it in, so really the the, the Deadpool was broken by the killer. <laughs> That's who broke the actual. <laughs> well, she did her oh, yes. she did her research though on on Callahan, and she wanted to tell his story. Yeah, yeah. So I I think and and then when she um when she accosts. Jim Carrey's uh, uh, girlfriend after after his death. Mm. I think that you're meant you're meant to think that she's one of these only out for herself, only yeah. out, you know like uh, uncaring press, don't care about the people. It's just a story. Get your story, but you know yeah, blood and guts. Awesome. He even says you know oh I'm I'm a wanted you know I, I got a hit on me. You just want my story for the blood and guts. Blah blah blah. What you later you know find is that. She she's not that person, mm-hmm. but I think she's meant to be. But I think that I think they changed that too soon. Like that should be her arc in the movie, right? So that yeah. she she changes at the end. So through the, well, the movie, whole movie's she's like, like she truncated. That, uh, yeah, she is that kind of you know yellow journalist, whatever that kind of muckraking journalist who wants to dig up all the dirt on Harry and tell you know and and tell the truth about this guy who you know shoots before he before he asks questions and you know like in that Chinese restaurant scene, if if his partner hadn't then his little kung fu moves and, and kick that guy, that guy would have just been dead. But instead he gets yeah. he gets handcuffed and taken away. But you know, so like you know, there is some like there is some reason to have some grievances against you know, Callahan. Her, well, they could have used her more to to further the celebrity of Callahan as far as because again, I think I think the lieutenant is there early on, you know, for some comedic relief, but it's also to set up the whole issue with Harry in the press. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you know, get him out there, and they needed Harry in the press in order to further the whole idea of why would he be on the Deadpool. Well, that's it, but they don't really like carry that far enough. Like, you know, they should have had maybe like an interview on television, you know, where he could like lose his temper and walk off or whatever. But at least get him there so that the killer can like, oh, this is Dirty Harry. Now this is someone that I can focus on. 
but it just felt like you know like the journalistic part of it was underused like i mean really uh you know i know you like the movie but i feel like the script was really kind of half-baked Oh, you know, it could have used another, it either could have been tightened up for sure, or it could have used another maybe like 20 minutes just to kind of give her some extra um, screen time yeah. and give Liam Neeson some extra screen time yeah. and just go from there. I want your story. I've been doing my homework on you. You've had quite a colorful career over the years. I did this. You see, what I would like to do is an in-depth profile of you. Inspector Harry Callahan. Sorry, I'm not interested. But why not? I mean, this latest attempt in your life, obviously by one of Gennaro's men. You're not I interested mean, in doing a story on me. All you want is blood. You figure that's what sells, and that's now, what you're going no, to give to Now, now, wait a minute, Callahan. Now you wait, wait a minute. Hey, Callahan. You're Callahan, aren't you? That's right. What can I do for you? You're the cop who put Gennaro away, aren't you? Hey, hey, uh, oh. All I want is your autograph. Can I shake your hand? I'd just like to thank you, pal. It's about time somebody did something about garbage like Gennaro. Yeah. Could, you, could, could you sign it to Chester Docks there? That, that, that's me. Uh, how about a drink? Let, let me buy you a drink. Some other time. You know what we need? More cops like you, Callahan. That's what we need. I gotta change my shorts. We're fortunate enough that Clint's... Um, a lot of his movies actually return to this theme about the... You know, a lot of digs they have in the media. I'm thinking of Unforgiven, the whole bit with, um, you know, the Duke of Death, the Duck of Death, about the mythologizing of, of violence and so forth by the media. You saw Rubinek's character in the movie? Is yeah, that- that's right. Yeah, the, 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 the Penny Dreadful novelist, basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, Richard Schickel, Clint's, um, Clint's authorized biographer, his review of uh, The Deadpool, he was saying, you know, it's basically trash, but um, there are some worthy things about it. And he was saying it's interesting how the reporters, as sort of a conduit for the public, eventually they end up understanding Harry, whereas people in the art world, his critics, you know, other filmmakers, reviewers, and the Pauline Kales of the world don't get him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, the, yeah, Clarkson gets him in the end, but, you know, never people like Swan or, uh, or others. Yeah. I thought that was uh, when the uh, female film reviewer was killed. I said, oh, that's a stand-in for Pauline Kale. I said to my wife oh, when we were watching sure. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I when I read that, yeah, yeah, they call her, should have called her like Molly Shale or something like that. Cause that would have been even better. But uh, yeah, obvious stand-in, like just like, oh, this is here's some. Uh, Clint must have been like behind the camera rubbing his hands together when she's murdered in the in the in the scene. Like, this, oh, this would be great. <laughs> Show Pauline Kale. Another shikle quote: "The Deadpool's big hobby horse this time." isn't namby-pamby liberalism, <laughs> but rather the media's glorification of crime and criminals. Hmm. Where do you guys, without getting too political, where do you sit on whether the media, by covering crime so much, actually does help? Aside from the cases where it's, you know, oh, there's killer on the loose, be careful, is this description. Does it do society any benefit, really, to report on crime... I know that's a big question. I'll just put some of, I'll put some of my context here, right, as an Australian. Okay. Quite often on, on slow news days or whatever at the tail end of the news, they'll report on some US crime, like, you know, a, sh- a killing, a shooting or whatever. 
maybe an odd spot sort of thing, like a Florida man type of crime. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what relevance it has to be in Australia other than just contributing to a feeling of unease or, oh, humankind is horrible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. like particularly for, that's a good, ex- that's a clear example because it doesn't have any effect on Australia safety or anything. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, it's heartwarming, I guess, that our news, there's so few murders that they don't, they are definitely newsworthy when they happen here because they're so rare. But where, what do you, I'll start with you, Dave. Do you, do you think, there's a good point the uh, the movie raises there about the efficacy of the, the the news really reporting on crime or celebrity salaciously. Well, I think I think this movie is a little ahead of itself actually because I think ahead of its time I should I mean to say because I think when we uh, get to like the 24 hour news cycle of the 90s, that's when you really see the the you know the the sensationalizing of of the quote unquote dangers you know like like um. I'll just give a kind of more local example, like Vancouver. It's a, you know, we, I live in Canada. We, we, you know, we do have guns here. We do have gun violence and stuff. We, like I said, we're a port city. We have a lot of drugs here. We have a lot of gang violence and stuff like that. People being killed in, in gang activity and stuff here in Vancouver. But it's, you know, other, but you know, it's happening, but you know, I don't feel at any, in any way at risk. I know mean, I would, I would easily, could easily as a male walk across Vancouver at, you know, at one in the morning and not feel in danger at all. But if for people I know, like we have friends and family that live outside of the Vancouver area, they so their only exposure to Vancouver is through the news. And I've talked to them and they've said, it's kind of funny because, you know, I grew up in Vancouver, but living here now, I'm actually afraid of Vancouver because all I hear about it is all the bad things that happen. And so I have this sense of it now as like this scary, ominous place. And which is funny to me because, you know, my kid, my daughters, when they were teenagers, loved to drive into Vancouver and hang out there and stuff. And I never worried about that. I never... Didn't, it didn't frighten me, you know, but if you, if you, if your only exposure to it is as a place of threat, as a place where bad things happen through the news, you know, then you get a sense of, of too much threat, you know, and I think that and to widen that out, like that's become the world now is this very threatening place where bad things always happen because we live in this 24 hour cycle of the one thing that happens, it's bad. We see it all day long for three or four days until another bad thing happens. And then we get that fed to us over and over again. And so, you know, rather than having like a, you know, a sense of, of, um, you know, the world is, is, you know, basically, of course there's bad things happen in the world, you know, terrible things can happen. Bad luck can happen to you at any time. That's a reality, but mostly our lives are pretty peaceful and we, we just kind of get along, but you just you you wouldn't get that sense from the news. From the news, you get a sense of, and this could be for politics or or just you know just you know life in in, in the world and living in cities or whatever. You know, you just get the sense that it's all, we're always at risk and it's always a danger. And and don't go to the states. You know, it's a terrible. It's a risk there. There's people killing each other all the time. And like, because they're exposed to the states, is you know like mass shootings, you know, and and uh, political unrest and you know. Like when you look at like the reporting in like Portland, you know, you would think the whole city was on on fire when it's really just a very small part of it that's kind of been cordoned off as a place for people to voice their opinions, you know. But everyone else who lives there, they're just getting, you know, they're driving in and out and driving out, working there, living their lives that it doesn't affect them at all. But the news blows it up, you know. Dave, sometimes to counteract that. Cute animals are born to other cute animals in the zoo. Yeah, that's right. So it all it works out nicely. <laughs> and that's the, that's what the final you, part Brian? of the news, right? What about you, Brian? Are there any Patricia Clarksons in your part of New York? Oh uh, well, you know, I, I'm I'm not in New York, but anymore. But yeah, I mean, they they there are. Um, <laughs> I I I definitely think the the 
the adage, uh, if it bleeds, it leads is <laughs> totally uh, on point for, um, you know, for America 2020, <laughs> 2021. Now, I mean, it, just just look around. I, I don't want to get into politics either, you know, because this yeah. could be a whole whole other thing. But to answer your question, when you started talking about Patricia Clarkson's character and all that, I was like, oh, mm. wow, that just sounds like nowadays. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. You know, I definitely do think the media will find the worst thing out there. Well, what, what actually what I think it is, is they, they find what, whatever story they can use to manipulate whether it is a yeah. good thing, a bad thing. So, so as far as covering crime, uh, what, one of the one of the things I feel is is the media's uh, downfall is. So yes, if it bleeds, it leads. Like I was gonna say, like when I I used to we used to have CNN on constantly at work, uh, and just you know so we could see what was going on with the world. And for years, they would show whenever there was a high-speed police chase, they would put it on. <laughs> yes, yes. And we'd, wa- we'd all stop working and we'd yeah, just watch yeah. it. Yeah. Until somebody got shot live on TV. They cut away real quick, but they shot that person. Mm. And all of a sudden, they were like, eh, I don't think we're going to put these on anymore, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which was the right call. But if you think about it, like, I think it caused more people to be like, I'm going to run, you know, and, and, and like they want to be the next person. Uh, and and But on the flip side, like like more modern, you know, today, I feel that there, there's two crimes. They're the exact same thing. Maybe there's one little difference. They're going to report nonstop, twenty four seven, on the one crime and ignore the other one. Mm-hmm. And so to to get everybody to think one thing versus another. Mm-hmm. And it, they're, yeah. so they're 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 very manipulative, and but they're manipulative usually for the worst stuff, not for the good stuff. You know, like. Uh, so yeah, yeah. That's it. I, I definitely think it makes. I think it's done intentionally because when you're scared, you'll watch the news. I think first and foremost, that's that's the main thing. Ratings, Mo- ratings mean money. You know, stuff like that. The next thing is political manipulation, one way or another, make people think what you know how they want them to think, not what's really the objective truth. <laughs> but I'll, I'll get off my soapbox before we get too far into it. <laughs> you know, they were interfering with an official investigation, sir. Don't give us that. Is this your idea of cooperation with the media? Cooperation works two ways, Lieutenant. Just what is it you have against reporters, Callahan? You were right about what I did the other day. I had no business intruding on that girl's grief. I, uh, I, I, I get a little too eager sometimes, and in my rush to get the story first, I made an errant judgment. We all make those from time to time. Well, David. Yes? Speaking of crimes, cinematic crimes of 1988, the Deadpool. <laughs> um... It's interesting. I was rereading uh, Richard Schickel's autobiography of Clint. Okay. And he mentions that the three movies Clint made, you, we've talked a few about them, but, uh, Bird, Heartbreak Ridge, and this, yeah. you could sort of sign off saying Clint was preoccupied with his political role as the mayor of Carmel. Heartbreak Ridge was made early in the term, Bird uh, midway through, and this movie came out just a few months after he left office. And Schickel sort of united the three films and he said, quote, they have a somewhat autumnal air <laughs> in, that, in that they all concern retirement in some way. Okay. Quote, Heartbreak Ridge, a career Marine Corps non-com coming confusedly to the end of his final hitch. Bird, a jazz genius's final burnout. <laughs> 
the Deadpool, which showed a famously outraged cop's anger cooling into curmudgeonliness. <laughs> Do you like how he sort of got a theme, like the uniting theme of Clint's late 80s work? I'm going to say that more more than that, I think, is the, the theme of all that work is he was distracted from his his main job by by his political interest in in uh, in Carmel, I guess, which was basically like wasn't his wasn't the reason he became a mayor just because he was concerned about people building things there he didn't like. The opposite. I think he wanted to build things people didn't oh, like. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I, I literally read something one time. It had something to do with an ice cream shop. <laughs> they were like, yes. He was like, and he's like, I'm, I want an ice cream shop, and, I, and he promised that was one of his campaign things. Is if I get elected, we'll we'll get this ice cream ice cream shop everybody wants. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think there are a whole lot of restrictive covenants or, mm. or restrictive bylaws from the council, like you couldn't eat an ice cream cone mm. or stilettos weren't allowed on the promenade or something. Called the like Singapore that, yeah. of the Pacific. That's the. Uh, yeah. I guess Singapore is in the Pacific. I don't know. Like the Singapore of the West. No, I guess that doesn't work. And nothing works anyway. That was my Singapore joke fell flat. That's what I'm going to say. To be fair to Clint, like, I can't think of many other 60s actors, like stars, yeah. that were still box office drawers in the late 80s. You, you know, your Redfords, you knew, well, I guess they were, but. Warren Beatty, maybe yeah. to a degree. Um, yeah. They were doing different types of movies, I think, yeah, though, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess well, that's it. Yeah, they weren't like blockbusters. I mean, Reds wasn't like a. Bl- I guess Reds was pretty popular actually. It's but they're not blockbusters. He was yeah. He was like the the last, the only actor that you could think of that you could compare to, to like a Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger, like someone working in a in an action mode to degree. Let me tell you something, Callahan. People people are fascinated with death and violence. That's why my films make money. They're an escape, a vicarious release of fear. Same thing with this game. Nobody takes my films or the Deadpool seriously. It's already started, you know. What has? All the media bullshit. Newspapers print the list of the Deadpool. It doesn't help our investigation any. Now, what bothers you, Callahan, is that we found out about the Deadpool before you did. You people take the Gennaro trial and the Deadpool and add the hype and the distortion. Innocent people start getting hurt. Aren't you overreacting just a bit? I've seen it happen. Look, I don't like the hype any more than you do, but it happens sometimes when reporters compete for a story. Why don't you forget about the competition and start thinking about your responsibility to the public? You can't kill the messenger because of the message, Callahan. Oh, it's like, um, was it John Lennon said the Beatles cameoed in their own movie in Help? Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sort of Harry, Harry cameos in his own Dirty Harry movie here. Yeah, that's exactly right. He's the worst thing you can be in a movie, which is a passenger. Like the, when the protagonist yeah. becomes a passenger in a film, it isn't, isn't making his own choices and stuff, but it's just being led by the nose through the plot. That is, yeah. That's when a movie it's really, like, to me, has trouble. It's like a lot of the Batman films where it's really more about the, um, the villains than it is Batman, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but you, with Batman, you have like a sense of his personality and his character and stuff like that. Where in this film, like I think of a, a person who did not know Dirty Harry, like from any yeah. other movie, if you watch this film, which is how I first watched it, you're kind of confused by what the importance of his his role is in the movie. I mean, Harry pretty much just avoids the mob killing him. There's a car chase yeah. and he sort of solves a crime or his partner does. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, his partner solves the crime, and Harry, uh, and Harry ends the crime. Yeah, you know the yeah. crimes. You know, he- <laughs> yeah, 
it's gangster Harry plus slasher Dirty Harry that he's not really involved in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just feels. It, yeah, it really does feel like he's just a kind of a passenger for a lot of the film, and that's uh, that's often a sign of like kind of amateur script writing is when you don't understand what the protagonist should do in a mo- or do in a story, which is be the acting force in that tale. You know, their, their choices are what drive the story. And in this film, there's nothing that Harry can do that will change what's happening. Do you know that, you know, he, there's nothing, at no point does he like affect the the killer's plans. The killer effectively kills everyone he wants. The only, right. only when he doesn't kill is Harry. That's, you know, so. Well, Harry then, and then, uh, and then um, Patricia, Patricia Clarkson, you know. Right, yeah, Patricia Clarkson, yeah, yeah. That, 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 I guess, yeah, her name is sort of added at some point, is that, but. You know, honestly, too, if, you know, as we were kind of talking through this, and I, I didn't think of it earlier, when you talk about amateur script writing, the Gennaro thing, trying to avoid getting killed by Gennaro, I mean, that's it's fun for some good action scenes, and I guess that's that's where some of the comedy comes from, and that's where some of the action scenes come from. Because, because like you said, he's not really actively investigating. I mean, he is, but there's, they're not really showing this. The, the killer... You know, that's just his day job while he's dealing with this other stuff. Yeah. The the Gennaro thing was to get him in the public's eye. Mm-hmm. He should have, he, they could have avoided that and just had, you know, say that, look, Harry's been doing this thing for all this time. He's yeah. a known qu- quantity in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he can, you know, he continually has the hit is, a, again, is the, uh, the reason, the attempts on his life, I should say, which is the reason why he is now a candidate to be on the Deadpool uh, however, however, I, if, if they if they had a better script doctor who could have somehow meshed these two storylines together, they're almost two separate storylines. They are, yeah. Just like the Enforcer, just like Sudden Impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why the series really jumped the shark after the Enforcer, in my opinion, like halfway through. Well, I think the I personally I think I I really appreciate the first two films the most, and I I, I find that the the films fall apart from the enforcer on. I just don't, I don't think that movie has uh I think the, I like the relationship between the two, the two actors and I like Tyne Daly and I like Clint Eastwood a lot in it, but I just feel like uh the, the story doesn't really work. And yeah, and he's just, I just like D- dirty Harry shouldn't be a passenger in his, in the movies. Like he should be the, you know, he should be what's, what's driving the story, you know, and his relationship. So like, I feel like, yeah, I just like the idea. Once again, I go back to this, I, like making uh, Swan more of a more of a character in the film, and and having and having more interaction between those two would have been way more interesting because he's the Swan is the most interesting kind of character in the movie, you know. Like, like I like El Quan, but if they had maybe gotten a younger, uh, like a rookie that was going to be his new partner, like, hey, you're going to take this rookie out with you, and you know, here's Charlie Sheen, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, sure. If, if 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 that was the case, then you could have had Harry uh, showing this new guy the ropes of what it's like to be on in homicide and 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 be an inspector and and go through uh, the whole and then was you know investigation and and this is what it's like and and we're trying to catch. A we killer. know that though. That's already being done to death, Brian. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But you know, you know there's that line. Welcome to Homicide, Chico. And um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Well, you know, and and I like the the little bit where he's like, "Oh, great! It's it's good that uh, you know, 
homicide would be great to have uh, somebody, uh, you know, a, a cop of Al's experience on it, you know. Yeah. But then he's like, well, he's your partner. Well, yeah, 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 <laughs> the hell yeah. he is, you know, like it's every movie. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And then you also, you can't, like, the guy who plays Al is fine, but like, you you know, you think to yourself, well, it would have been kind of cool if like that was like the first appearance of Jackie Chan in like in a, in a North American movie like that would, but then, you, then I was thinking, well, no, because it wouldn't work because he would outshine Clint Eastwood yeah, with his yeah. action scenes and you can't have that because, you know, Clint Eastwood, but the problem for Clint Eastwood is that he's not, he's not young enough to do like really cool action scenes. He can just like kind of move his arm around quickly and, and kill people as fast as you, as you could, you know, playing a time cop at the video, at the, the video arcade. You're greedy, Dave. <laughs> You've got two future stars. You've got Jim Carrey and Liam Neeson in this movie. You want a third as well? Yeah. And, mm. and now you want Jackie Chan. Now, are you guys familiar with Evan C. Kim at all? No, not at all. I no. No, tell us. Tell us. What have you found out? Well, I mean, not, I, I mean, not really a lot. Um, however, uh, he is the main star of Fistful of Yen in the, the, the movie within a movie of Kentucky Fried Movie. Okay. Okay. Ah. Yeah, so, okay. He plays the Bruce Lee character. Yeah, he's the Bruce Lee character, oh. and he's great in that. It, I mean, it's one of the funniest bits, and it's, it's. I think it's basically Enter the Dragon, yeah. but they call it Fistful of Yen, which I find funny that now he's teaming up with uh, <laughs> with Clint Eastwood in in a Dirty Harry film. What's even um, funnier is they think Yen is is uh, Chinese money, but anyway. Oh, it's Japanese, is it? <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, that, that's the beauty thing about, you know, Kentucky Fried Movie. It's so stupid. Inten- intentionally so. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, and, and I also, re- so I've seen Kentucky Fried Movie all bunch, and, I, and it's, he's great in that. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and he's also in the, the original miniseries of V. Um, oh, okay. I remember, I, okay. I remember him being a character yeah, yeah. in that. And I, and, oh, uh, he's in Cavemen. He's in yes, Caveman he is. Yes, with Ringo Starr. <laughs> and 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 have you ever seen um, uh, Megaforce? Have either one of you seen Megaforce with no. Barry Boswick? Not me. Oh, that is an amazing movie. <laughs> it is. It's horrible, okay. but it's amazing. As a as a kid, I used to watch it on HBO all the time. In fact, if I ever bring it up, my dad's like, "Barry Boswick, he's the one that flew on the motorcycle at the end." <laughs> uh, Evan C. Kim is in that movie as well. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, Brian, Brian. Yeah. Before we move on to final stats for the Deadpool, I see um, Evan C. Kim was in a movie called Baby Blue Marine. Yes. I recently discovered that movie. I've, uh, you know, for my podcast, I was trying to think, all right, what are we going to do next? And I was compiling a list of every Marine movie in history ah. that I could think of. And I came across Baby Blue Marine. And it's with Jan Michael Vincent mm. um, of uh, Airwolf fame. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I know him from. And and he he plays like a, a Marine that got kicked out or something like that. Because he, he was like... Yeah. Here we go. A would-be, a would-be Marine fails basic training and is yeah. sent home wearing the baby blue fatigues of a washout. En route back home, he is mugged by a battle-fatigued Marine Raider who leaves him to hitchhike home in an undeserved hero's uniform. Yeah, so, the, so, so it's like he gets home. It's, it was a made-for-TV movie, I think. Okay. So basically he gets home. Everybody, it's, it's, it's a case of false identity. They think he's some hero and he's, he's a washout. And, of course, he's, you know, he's lying to his hometown and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I'm not sure. Oh, what, and Evan. Yeah, Evan C. Kim plays a Japanese interned person. In, yeah, okay. 
I was wondering about that. I, I didn't know what role he would have played in that. Uh, I've never seen the movie, but it, honestly, it doesn't sound very interesting to me. <laughs> I don't think we'll be reviewing that minute by minute. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. So if you if you fail as, a, as in your basic training as a Marine, you are you are actually are sent home in a, with a baby blue uniform. Well, maybe back in the forties. Oh, okay, or so it's not II. a thing nowadays. Yeah, yeah no, so I, I, social I, I, shaming is not so uh, so so fun anymore. Yeah, no, no, no. no. They uh, they just send you pack and event- eventually. <laughs> they'll they'll keep you on they'll keep you on base for a while doing working parties. Well, it, it, okay. Uh, case in point, I, I had a, I had a guy. He he got he washed out of boot camp, uh, not because of any fault of his own. He basically lost every tendon in his finger, you know, in his trigger finger. He can't shoot. He can't be a marine. Okay. Um, unfortunately, this poor guy, when we were going to pick our civilian gear up before we graduated, was sitting there still in his in his you know boot camp camis. Just raking, raking leaves and stuff while we were getting ready to leave. He was still on base like two months later, and they just hadn't released him yet because they they, they use him as manual labor while they process you out. As I'm doing quotes because it takes forever. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but yeah. Um, and, but 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 when they finally send you home, they just send you home in the same stuff that you arrived in. You know. So you don't you, you don't get like you don't get sent to like a different branch. They go, well, you're not a marine, but maybe you could be in the army. <laughs> so they just send you home. That's it. <laughs> Well, it's my understanding if you wash out of boot camp, it's it's like it's like you never were in, but you could never join again. Oh, okay, really? I could, wow. I yeah, and and I, I, I it's my understanding of you could never join any service again. I could be wrong, and they could have changed the rules by then, but that was always my understanding. Probably did Dirty Harry Five for the money, didn't you? That's true. If you carry this stuff around with you, it's going to beat you to death. So, any regrets about diluting the quality of the Harry franchise by taking it too far into your fifties? I, I don't linger with him uh, when I dial around television because I've already seen him or lived him. Uh, so it's it's a little different for me. I, I don't know what the relationship is. I, there is no relationship. That's that's the past and. I've done those movies, and it was a great time when we did it. Once in a great while, it's fun to sit down, look at one, and see how it holds up. How does this hold up? How would you do it if you were doing it today? The Deadpool doesn't hold up very well, if you ask me. But thank you for the honest response. All right, guys, are you ready for some last final statistics? Some sure, stats sure, sure. about Deadpool? Knock us dead. Well, as we discussed before, it had the same budget pretty much as Die Hard. Mm-hmm. But whereas Die Hard earned 150 million, um, this movie basically hardly earned its 38 million back. I was asking you before, where do you think the budget went? You said the uh, the scriptwriters, Big Farmer, and uh, Clint's budget, Clint's fee, I guess. But yeah, where did it go? Why did it cost so much? Yeah, it's weird. Um, I guess well, with Die Hard, I mean Bruce Willis was new to film, so he wasn't. I don't think there's any actor in that movie that got like a big big payday. You know, like everyone in that film is, they're they're kind of known, but like Alan Rickman, that's his first uh, big film. So he's he's just coming out of British television. So he's getting he's getting scale. Uh, you know, Bruce Willis. You know, he, he was popular for Moonlighting, but he hadn't really clicked as an actor yet in movies. And so you know, he's doing okay, but he's not making a big big payday. So I feel like that's a movie where. Every you know, you, and it's also a movie that's been carefully um, 
like every every detail has been ironed out and everything's been thought and they, all the shots have been planned and everything is all in order and ready to go and so you know when you get down to like shooting it's all it's all very efficient and done very quickly whereas i feel like someone like this like buddy van horn who's like his first directorial attempt the movie probably wasn't as uh as you know as, as per, you know as as prepared as john mctiernan was to film you know so there's probably more wastage there's le- more time waiting around and stuff like that so Now, guys, this is the only Harry movie. This mm-hmm. is real, real scuttlebutt here. This is the only Harry movie in which uh, Harry does not drive a traditional police vehicle. In all the previous movies, he had used a retired ex-police car. Here, he's just given an Oldsmobile Delta 88, whatever that is. Is that a real car? Oldsmobile? Yep. yep. Delta? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think they make Oldsmobile anymore, do no, they? No, they don't make them anymore. <laughs> they're, they're gone, but... Uh... The uh, the Olds family and their mobile. <laughs> this was the only Dirty Harry film to be shot in boring old plain standard one eighty five rather than the Panavision uh, two thirty five aspect ratio. So once again, another reason that it's even cheaper to make this. I was going to say that for cost reasons, I'm sure. <laughs> um, it's the only Dirty Harry film not to have full frontal nudity, so Boo. stands out there as well. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> Got to earn that R rating somehow. Yeah, come on, guys. Uh, Apparently, Frank Miller was so appalled that he wrote, this can't be totally accurate, but one of the reasons why he wrote Sin City, Frank Miller, was to have sort of a more fitting end to the Dirty Harry series. Really? I know nothing about Sin City. Yeah, weird. Mm. I I always thought it was like a tribute to like the old kind of Mickey Spillane noir novels and stuff like that. I think maybe it's only a partial reason, but I understand there's a character called Nancy Callahan in Sin City. Is that correct? I've not. Yeah. I've not read uh, all the books. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've never read the Sin City, but I've seen the movie. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, but that sounds right. I wouldn't be surprised because uh, Frank Miller modeled Wolverine. Well, actually, it was John Byrne. I think uh, Wolverine was. Uh, not created by John Byrne, I don't think. I think it- right, but when, but but in the in the X Men comics and definitely in the Wolverine solo okay uh, series that Frank Miller did do, uh, he was the artist on that. Yeah, he they intentionally modeled him after Clint Eastwood. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. His he, he took on some uh, very very much uh, Clint Eastwood characteristics. <laughs> um, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood and Dirty Harry in particular, if the, especially if this is true about Sin City has had uh, quite the impact on co- the comic book culture, uh, you know, because as I just stated about how influential Wolverine was uh, to kind of be taking some of the the mannerisms or, or the facial features mm-hmm. uh, from Dirty uh, from Clint Eastwood. But uh, the character Deadpool, um, Rob Liefeld, or Leafield, Liefeld? Liefeld, yeah, Liefeld, yeah. He uh, he was quoted as saying, stating that he got the name Deadpool from this movie. Oh, okay, huh? Okay. So this that alone was the worth the uh, you know worth making this movie for. <laughs> <laughs> so we get those better Deadpool movies, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I wonder if the Punisher was based a little bit on on Dirty Harry as well. I've definitely seen. Um, actually, so there was like a Punisher. 
uh, Marvel Knight series. I forget the artist who did it. He, he was like this cover artist, and it, all of it, you know, it was definitely they played it definitely like the Punisher was straight out of uh, a Vietnam era. It's not like they were like, oh, he was in Desert Storm. You know, they try try to update it, and the look of of that uh, of of the Punisher in, on these covers mostly was I mean it it was so borrowed from Clint Eastwood. I mean, at least in my opinion. You know, especially as, since Clint Eastwood is, has been effective you know, as a fairly fit older man, uh, could could have easily pulled, uh, you know, pulled off playing the Punisher well into his 60s, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too bad that Clint was, wasn't younger and he could play, uh, play Reacher. He would be really good in that role, I think. Really? Jack Reacher? Yeah, yeah. He's tall and he's, he's uh, muscular. He could be very severe. That's, that's Reacher. He's supposed to be like... Six foot three or something like that, and I think. What? what Tom Cruise is in six three. Tom Cruise is not Reacher. <laughs> my, my my wife, who's a Reacher fan, will say Tom Cruise is not Reacher. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> now, guys, do any of these foreign alternative titles of the Deadpool take your fancy? Okay. In Bulgaria, it was called Deathbed. Deathbed no, or Deathbed? Deathbed. Deathbed. It's not bad. It's not as good as Deadpool. Uh, yeah, agreed. Um, in French Canada, of course, it was called Death Stakes. Mm, steak is better yeah. than a pool, better than a bet. <laughs> well, I mean, no, because it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, that could be any movie. Like, the reason it's called The Deadpool is because it's referencing this this game they're playing that's, you know, has, uh, you know, people are going to die at some point. I, don't, I can't, I can't, you know. Typical Quebec, they can't even come up with a proper name for the. No, they, uh, <laughs> what am I from Western Canada? The uh, yeah, I just I just can't. Well, I, I I guess there's not like there's not a version of that in in uh, in French. So like in Quebec, they don't have like that. The game doesn't exist, or if it did exist, they just called it Le Deadpool. But you know <laughs> that would be that would be wrong. Just like this, they call, call things Le Hot Dog. You know, like. In France proper, it was called Inspector Harry is the Last Target. Oh, that is bad. <laughs> In Brazil, Dirty Harry on the Blacklist. Why not it's called The Blacklist? Uh, yeah, Dirty Harry on the Run, you know, that, that seems like uh, <laughs> a, a good sequel name. <laughs> In Hungary, it was called Shoreproof Tip. Shoreproof Tip, as in like a tip or tip off, you know, I don't know. I mean, communism was coming to an end. They're probably more creative about other things. Yeah. <laughs> but I've saved the best to last, guys. My favorite. Okay. It seems like in most Spanish places, at least in Mexico and Peru, it was called Waiting Room to Hell. You know, if they if they played up the, the Swan, uh, you know, horror movies more, that would have been perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, uh, uh, yeah. I read somewhere that in 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 Italy they just named it uh, Callahan, which which honestly, it's not very impressive. But if it's kind of like if they if they had done like if Clint Eastwood was just a little bit younger and he came back out maybe like today to do redo another one kind of like Rocky Balboa you know it was just or or Rambo was just Rambo uh, back in not not the Last Blood but the other one, um, it would totally have just been called Callahan. You know, like Dirty Harry Six, if it was made, it would be like Callahan. Yeah, like oh, who's Callahan? <laughs> yeah, they should like yeah. If they do, if they do one now, that would be a, that would be the perfect sort of uh, 
name for it. I, I just can't understand why why all these other countries just if they had trouble with the Deadpool, just why didn't they call it Hotel Satan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lotel de Satan, yeah. you know. Or 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 Dirty Harry, welcome to the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the hit song. That's a weird part of the movie, right? Where he's like lip syncing to a song by a different band. Yeah. Yeah. Like Yeah. It's just kind of weird. And I do like that I do like that Guns N' Roses are in that scene firing the the harpoon thing so then we know They're in that. two scenes. They're in two scenes. I caught them at the funeral too. That's right. They're at the funeral yeah. as well. That's right. That's I right. I saw I was cuz cuz one of my notes was going to be hey, maybe this movie would be better if Axl Rose was actually Jim Carrey. <laughs> and, and, and then I'm like and then literally like right after I had that thought, I'm like, "Hey, there's Axl Rose." <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's not. He's not in the harpoon fighting, uh, uh, firing scene. Uh, that was Slash and a few other guys. But he he's at the funeral. Yeah, Jim Carrey should have been the murderer. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been more. That would have been more surprising. And yeah, they should have had like actually Axl Rose doing like the lip syncing stuff, you know. And it just seems really. It just feels kind of weird. I guess because maybe when that's when that movie came out, Guns and Roses weren't that well known yet. It was '88. So when did they? No, they 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 were pretty big. Yeah, Appetite had already come out. They were on. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were on tour for Appetite for Destruction. So yeah, yeah. yeah no, they 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 were they were a known quantity, but, sure, which sure. is probably why they got them because they were like the new big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's where the the money went. They had to all that cocaine and alcohol for Guns N' Roses. Just like, that just blew the budget. Yeah, <laughs> you had to have a heroin budget. <laughs> <laughs> that's not cheap, guys. Even this, even if it is San Francisco. Homework question, guys. Who are you in this movie, Brian? Oh, I'm uh, I'm definitely uh, I'm I'm El Quain. Uh, El Quan. I can't believe I said that wrong. <laughs> I'm I'm El Quan, hands down. Minus the martial arts and being actually legitimately tough, like he is. <laughs> I, the the more I watch this movie, I'm like, oh, because I'm at first I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not Liam Neeson. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not Jim James Carey. I'm I'm not half these people. Uh, but but I'm like man, uh, you know I, I I can see myself as the sidekick character, you know I, I'd hang around the the protagonist, and and as Al went on, he's making jokes at every every um, homicide scene they go to. He's got a joke. He's talking about celebrity deaths coming three. I'm like that sounds like me. <laughs> um, the fact that he was struggling lifting weights, uh, <laughs> like you know that little bit of business that happened because Harry was distracted. Uh, I'm like oh that's something that would happen to me. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, especially too when he was he couldn't r- keep up running with Harry. I'm like, oh, I can't even run either. I'm like, this is perfect. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely the sidekick. I think so. <laughs> Dave, as a Canadian, I'm assuming you're probably the apologizing psychiatrist who says, "Sorry, I couldn't hold him." <laughs> well, I was, you know, as much as I would like to think of myself as the Peter Swan character, like, you know, the creative, manipulative, slightly sociopathic character, I'm afraid I'm more of the Patricia Clarkson uh running away and hiding character. So, I think that suits suits me to a T right there. Yeah. I think I'm probably one of her cameramen that gets uh just knifed towards the end of the film before she gets oh. in the car, you know. <laughs> <laughs> your best acted moment guys what do you think was the best part best piece of acting in the movie dave why don't you go first <laughs> thanks um <laughs> i think that i think the best bit of acting in the movie is i'm gonna give it to i'm gonna give it to uh liam neeson uh his uh, performing as as uh, peter swan i think 
I think he does the I think he does the best bit of like acting acting in the movie personally speaking I, I don't really have a favorite it's more a piece of dialogue it's just when Clint when Al goes have you heard about this guy that's been killed in a Chinese restaurant he goes never heard of him I just love his expression yeah <laughs> Never heard of him. No. Anyway, what about you, Brian? Well, I I think for me the the best bit of acting is um, that whole scene uh, post the funeral where um, Liam Neeson and 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 Dirty Harry are kind of playing off each other. Uh, you know, hey, you know, for, you know, for bloody sake, I'm at a funeral. You know, blah blah blah. And then Clint's kind of. Like, I don't like being on your list. And he's like, oh, and then here we have it. This is the, you know, this is, you know, just they're a little back and forth because where, where, where Liam Neeson's kind of coming off is kind of put off that you're like, oh, you're harassing me, basically. And he's and he's still being kind of like, hey, you know, he's explaining the Deadpool. He's explaining how his movies are are, are harmless. The game is harmless. And that, you know, he explains why he's picks the people he picks for, for the Deadpool. But then, you know, Clint kind of does his his little bit of um you know tough guy talk was saying well maybe i'll start my own game and put you on it <laughs> love <laughs> you know he goes if you can't play the game love or whatever and then but the bit the bit that really sold me on uh, as far as acting is liam neeson goes from kind of being like oh you're harassing me then to like kind of p- playing innocent he looks a little sinister right there and, and i think that was one of the attempts that they made to make you think oh he could be the killer but I liked how new. So basically, I mean, it's really Liam Neeson in that scene that does the best. But I like the the interplay between the two men, um, and it's it's it, because there is some range uh, that that you see. Well, Clint just does his Clint thing, but Liam Neeson go plays about three different little sides of his character all in that one little scene, and it's a fun little bit of dialogue, I think, too. And most important with Liam Neeson is he acts the entire film with that horrible hair. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to snip it. And somehow you, yeah, you, you don't hate him too much more than you already do right. because that, that rat tail is as awful. Uh, yep. You people are blowing this out of all proportion. You, you, you want to speak to somebody, speak to the police. Talk to Inspector Callahan. He'll tell you. I'm not a suspect. This is possible. I have nothing to do with these deaths. You guys, that's all I know pretty much about the Deadpool. I'm sure we'll talk about more scene-specific things when we do the audio commentary sometime. But do you guys want to hear about 1988, the year that was? I was 22 in, in 98. In 88. So, Brian, how old were you? I think 11. 11? Okay. Years old. Yeah. I was five. <laughs> wow. According to Taylor Swift, it's all about 1989, the following year. But <laughs> Off by a year, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So, in Burma, we had the pro-democracy uprising that resulted in martial law that still really lasts until this day. Hmm. We also had the end of the Iran-Iraq war, uh, leaving 1.5 million people dead. Russia withdrew from Afghanistan. Their Vietnam, of course, came hmm. to an end. And then we have something called the Lockerbie bombing, which I I don't really know much about, David. Oh, Do you remember terrible. that? Yeah, that was a, a passenger plane that had a bomb on it that exploded over Scotland and uh, killed the entire crew and passengers. Yeah, everyone died. And it was a terrorist uh, 
bombing. I'm not too sure who who the uh, terrorists were. So maybe that wasn't a very effective bit of a terrorism since we don't remember who killed all those poor people. But yeah, it was a real tragedy at the time. Um, in lighter realms, we talked about some of the movies that came out. Rain Man, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Crocodile Dundee 2, Die Hard, A Fish Called Wanda. I think some of them made your shortlist, day. Yeah, that's a really good movie. It's a great film. In fact, I think Kevin Klein won, won a, a supporting Oscar for his role in that film. Stephen Hawking released A Brief History of Time, which surely would be on the top of Harry's bookshelf, I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Big yeah, I think it'd be under the bookshelf, keeping it level. <laughs> Speaking of Big Pharma, I think Prozac was actually first uh, marketed or sold in 1988. Wow. Give me your thumbs up, thumbs down for some of these singles that came out, guys. Brian and then uh, and then Dave. Don't worry, be happy. Thumbs up. Down. <laughs> Simply irresistible. Thumbs up. Down. For the video. <laughs> I am uh, sorry, guys. I'm strictly I'm strictly Mr. Like indie, you know, alternative bands over here. So uh, you know, my 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 top top songs were all were all uh, you know obscure singles I heard on college radio. So yeah, well, I was eleven. <laughs> <laughs> I was too cool for school. <laughs> were you into the Go Betweens, Dave? Oh, I love the Go Betweens. Yeah, yep, yep. Their last album came out then. What's that, sorry? Their last album, 16 Lovers Lane. That's right, 16 Lovers Lane, which is a fantastic album. Yep. I was just thinking about that when I, uh, when I was thinking about 1988 <laughs> last night. So, yeah, great. Uh, Brian, Brian Wilson, you're listening to his solo album that came out? <sighs> yeah. What was his? Was it Dr. Uh, Eugene? Yeah, the Eugene Landy album. It should just be called Eugene Landy, not Brian Wilson, that album. Yeah. Some other singles, guys. Gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. Head, thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, I like it. I like the remake, too. Heaven is a place on Earth? Yes. Don't even know it. Ooh, baby, don't you know what it's worth? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know it. <laughs> Sorry, who did it, sir? Flame? Oh, um, Belinda Carlisle, is Carlisle, it? Carlisle, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was like a... Yeah. Okay. It's, 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 you'd recognize it if uh, you yeah, maybe. It. Yeah, maybe. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I always get her and the Canadian that did International Blue Velvet, and the, I always get them mixed up. Oh, Seems Alana like, Miles. She's a Canadian. Yeah, Alana Miles. Yeah. But she shouldn't because Belinda Carlisle was a go-go, so she had, some, she had some hits under her belt before she was a, a solo artist. Right. Um, we also had Kokomo by the Beach Boys. Ugh, love Great it. Great song. <laughs> <laughs> we have different tastes. <laughs> I love it. And before the internet... I just assumed it was a real place. Uh, okay. You know how it catalogs all the islands? I just, I had no reason to believe it wasn't a place. And then I was shocked <laughs> to discover it doesn't exist. Yeah. Did you know that, Brian? I, I, I just found out it wasn't. <laughs> Aruba check, Jamaica check. <laughs> yeah. I, but it was in cocktail, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, in the US, Delta Computers was formed. Delta? Oh, Dell, 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 Dell. Okay, Del, there you sorry. go, Dell. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Iran-Contra scandal flared up again. Um, uh, so I remember watching well, the hearings as a politically a politically aware young young man. And, and as a kid, I, I, I you know I, I knew for sure uh, Oliver North. You know he's yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He, I remember him standing up there saying, "I don't recall." <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy, terrible case Oliver? of amnesia. Yeah, yeah. 
President Ronald Reagan, always seeking forgiveness rather than permission, uh, formally asks Congress, can I have 40 million to help the Contras now? <laughs> Too late, sucker. Yeah. Um, Sonny, Sonny, Sonny Bono, elected Sonny mayor. Sonny Bono, yeah. Showing that anyone can do it. Eastwood's done it. He's done it. Uh, California versus Greenwood. The US Supreme Court rules that police officers don't, don't need a search warrant to search through garbage. Well, if it's on the on the curb, not if it's at beside someone's house, you can't search through it. But if it's rolled down to the street, then it's then it's on it's off of fair game. It's yeah. fair game, yeah, yeah. I think that's a fair ruling. It's fair. Uh, have you seen the movie The Star Chamber, Dave? The Star Chamber. Michael I Douglas? seem to remember Michael that Douglas? one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how factually true that was legally, but there was a in that movie they say there's a difference between whether the compactor is started. If they just see they see a criminal in the movie chuck his gun into the scoop part of like a a, a garbage truck, yeah. But in that movie, it was deemed only admissible as evidence, like found evidence, if the scoop had actually been put into the general repository. Oh, Otherwise, it was still deemed to be his property. That's well. That that's a that movie is kind of like Dirty Harry, and it's a manipulative film that's trying to get your emotions in favor of the idea of of being more tough on crime. And so these sort of things, these sort of like niggling legalisms are, are used as evidence yeah. that the legal system is broken. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, that's probably not, that wouldn't be the case at all because if you, if he had kept it on his person and the police had no reason to, no reasonable reason to search him, then he would have been fine. But by th tossing it aside, he actually makes it a fair game for, for the police to take. So, that that's a I think that's not the uh, I think that's a bit of a movie movie logic rather than real life logic. Yep, like Dirty Harry, that is a great film. I'd encourage everyone to check that out. <laughs> um, also, Reagan visits the USSR, and Gorbachev responds by visiting the US. On July sixth, medical waste is reported washing up ashore beaches in the greater New York area, including hypodermic needles and syringes possibly infected with the AIDS virus, or so it was worried. That's, um, this sounds like more like AIDS panic than actual... Uh... Yeah. Do you have memories of that, Brian? Yeah, I do. I, not only the hypodermic, uh, but also the... You know, like you said, the AIDS panic in general. Yeah. Um, for sure. For sure. You can get it from mosquitoes. Can you? Can you get it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, well, you know, we'll all be the same way with COVID in a few years. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll know so much more when we're yeah. after a few years and be like, man, we were really dumb. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Knock on wood. In October, Philip Morris buys Kraft Foods. I didn't even know that. Eating cheese and then having a smoke. I'm an ex-smoker. That would be horrible. Like having orange juice and then drinking beer or something. Ugh. That being said, though, I love cheese, so they must put nicotine in it so they make me <laughs> want to keep having it. That's what's in Cheese Whiz now. Yeah. <laughs> it does have some reaction like opiates, doesn't it? The cheese? There's some enzyme in it that is somewhat analogous to uh, well, the, the amount of cheese I eat. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, I was going to say, I, then I can blame uh, my addiction to pizza on, on <laughs> a chemical reaction. That's right. That's right. George Bush Sr. is elected. Mm-hmm. Um, Emma Stone is born. Yeah, good for but, her. Good job. But the people that died include Roy Orbison. Yeah, that was sad. Hal Ashby and Divine. 
Hell Ashby, I mean, Divine, that was terrible. But Hell Ashby, I don't want to say anything bad about Hell Ashby. No, forget it. Yeah, but we, we lose a we lose a Roy Orb- Orbison, but we gain an Emma Stone. Yeah, I mean the the Lord give, the Lord giveth and taketh away. I guess Roy Orbison was sad, of course, because he was had kind of rejuvenated his his career with the Traveling Wilburys and and had a really successful solo album, and then yeah, he just passed away uh, just like mysteriously after such a tragic life. You know, his his first wife and his children died in a house fire when he was on tour, and so I just feel like ugh, that guy had no no breaks, no breaks. Moving up north, a eh, to Canada. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Take off, eh? Thank you for those. <laughs> thank you for that stereotyping. Appreciate it. <laughs> Brian Mulroney wins the second majority government. Is that pronounced correctly, Mulroney? Mulroney. Mul- yeah, Brian Mulroney. Yeah. I always get confused with him and a former New Zealand prime minister that has another sort of Scottish name, like Muldoon or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was going to say Mulroney sounds like a cop. Like Mulroney, get in my <laughs> office now. <laughs> You're reckless, Mulrooney. What's interesting? Well, what's curious about him is he sounds he sounds Scottish stuff like that, but he was from Quebec, so he he oh. he ticked all the boxes in Canada, which is that you have to appeal, you know, you have to have some appeal to like you know English speaking Canada, and then you have to have some appeal to the francophones, the French speaking part of Canada. So the <laughs> politicians have to walk a real, real uh, careful uh, knife's edge of uh, appeal. Can't offend either group, you know, because there is a there is a little bit of headbutting between the two languages still to this day. So it's the opposite of Dirty Harry. You, you have to not offend everyone. You have to seduce everyone. <laughs> he, hate, he loves them all. In fact, Mulroney lost. Like he, he failed as a prime minister because he, he, there was an attempt, this thing called the Charlottetown Accord, where it, they, he gave away too much, in the opinion of Anglophone Canada, to the French. And so he kind of lost, the, the rest of the country lost confidence in the, in the conservatives. As a, and uh, so then there was an election called and they were, they were voted out of power, drummed out of power. The country also lost Wayne Gretzky to the Los Angeles Kings. Terrible day. Terrible day. Ah, uh, great day for America. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of like spreading the, the hockey, uh, you know, hockey to America, it was a very important right. thing because it gave a, a, a recognizable face to, to a sport that had been kind of kind of under the radar for, for much, of, much of the United States. Brian, of course, you live in New York, so that was one of the original six. So I always had a, str- a strong hockey presence there, I imagine, but... But other parts of the country, you know, it just couldn't, you know, it was behind bowling, you know, so. Although, truth be told, I didn't actually become a hockey fan until I moved down south and started following one of the expansion teams. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. It's just worked that way, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. Where did, where, which team did you become a fan of? Uh, the Hurricanes. Oh. For, the form, formerly of the Whalers, yeah. That's right, yeah. Formerly Hartford, that's right. Yeah. Cool. Let's skate over this. The Winter Olympics were in Calgary, yeah? <laughs> yes, that's right. That was uh, that was uh, exciting for them, I guess. We had the Winter Olympics in 2012 here in British Columbia. So, well, anytime anybody says Calgary, I can only think of Calgary, Alberta, Canada. The way Brett the Hitman Hart would say. It. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. See, I grew up watching those guys on Stampede Wrestling that was broadcast uh, out of Calgary. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, we had we had All Star Wrestling here in BC, but Calgary had had uh, Stampede Wrestling. Which used the Who's the Ox as their as their theme song, so it was one of the greatest theme songs oh, wow. of all time. The instrumental, the yeah, sort of yeah, that's right. surfy song. Yeah, it's great. That's where I first my, heard it. My favorite Canadian film ever, Tommy Tricker and the Stamp Traveler, was released. <laughs> what? 
never even heard of it. It's still known to you? <laughs> not at all. No, not to me either. <laughs> there was an Australian expat director, I think, that worked for Film Canada called Michael Rubo. Rubbo. Okay. And he made a series of films in Canada. One's called Tommy Tricker and the Stamp Traveler, featuring a, a small cameo from Rufus Wainwright as a kid. Oh, wow. Um, he, he's just a small part in it. And yeah. also something called The Peanut Butter Solution. Um which is a big fan. Obviously, it's not ringing any bells with you, Dave. You no, it's you. not. I mean, but, yeah. well, that's that's Canadian culture for you, right there. You've just summed it up. Like, no Canadian knows their own culture. You know, like, like it's the same here in Australia. The most un-Australian thing you can do is actually see an Australian film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, that's well, you know, like the guy who um, has been the producer of Saturday Night Live for so many years, Lauren Michaels. Like, he he's from Canada, and he was at the CBC trying to like get money, you know, get get work and stuff like that, and he's saying like we're really i'm really good like you know you got you guys should be hiring me and you know da, da, da. And the guy was like this executive at cbc said well if you're so good why aren't you in america <laughs> and he said yeah why aren't i and they moved down to the states and started producing tv shows and did like variety specials and stuff like that and then eventually started at saturday night live so yeah that's Canadian, that's a canadian attitude right there you know if you're so good why are you here moving to my neck of the woods as el roca would say in australia uh, 1988, we had the long-standing television soap Home and Away premiere at the start of the year. Don't expect you guys to know yeah, that. I only know Neighbours, sorry. I only know Neighbours. Yeah. It's like Neighbours at the Beach. Mm, neighbours okay. 2. <laughs> neighbors it was sort of a, a lesser, a B-grade, big deal in England, inexplicably for some reason. Okay. Um, what kind of like Degrassi High is, you know, like, no one cares about it in yeah. Canada, but everyone around the world loves it. It's weird, but... Like me, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like um, you. <laughs> like me, I love it. I know, I know. Check it out. Anyway, a few days later in Australia, uh, January 26th, was our bicentennial year, Brian. Yours was in 1776, ours was in 1988. Bicentennial, wow, okay. We've only celebrated our centennial, that was in 67. Well, that's your federation, isn't it? Yeah, that's that right. right. That's right. Yep. Whereas we celebrate the, the white fella coming to Australia. <laughs> Who doesn't? Um, well, it's also known in the Indigenous community as Invasion Day. So, it's um, watch this space. It's quite political. People really want to change the date. Maybe to our Federation Day. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's always been like, I don't remember, the can like we have Canada Day, which is, I think I misspoke earlier. I said 1860, but yeah, it's 1867 is the, uh, the date of Confederation. And that's, yeah, July 1st is our uh, celebration. Now, I found out that, yeah, January 26th, Australia Day mm -hmm. slash Invasion Day, actually <laughs> is we share that national day with India. Oh. But they are celebrating, obviously, kicking out the English in 1948. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we're celebrating <laughs> the English coming here and massacring our first people. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you guys really need to change your day. Yeah, yeah. We do. Uh, you know the band Midnight Oil? Midnight Oil? Sure do. Peter Garrett? Yep. Yep, they've got a new album out. They're agitating. They've got a new song called Change the Date and have been quite active in this space for years, mm, you know. Mm. Just why pick that day? It's just really problematic. Yeah. It's one of those silly things. It's kind of like the United States with Columbus Day because, you know, Columbus actually never came to America. He was, he was near it, but not, not actually on the continent. So it's, it's kind of weird. It's just those sort of nation-building choices that you have to make when you're a country that's full of people from other places. You have to do these things to... Yeah, because I, honestly, I, I, something I you know I keep keep learning about is Columbus Day was kind of chosen to kind of make peace with some of the Italian Americans that were getting shit on. Okay, <laughs> yeah, okay, and they were like, oh, we should give them a holiday because yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. 
What about it, Quan? Any objections to working with Callahan here? I, uh, think I can handle it. Got a bulletproof vest, kid. Well, guys, thank you very much for helping us review the movie The Deadpool, 1988, the fifth and last Dirty Harry movie so far. <laughs> I, I think we're safe to say it's the last. Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't think there's going to be another one. Yeah, yeah. It's like Connery and Bond. He did five and then out, right? Yeah. No need to. Oh, six, I guess. Never say never again, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unofficial. That was an unofficial Bond. Uh, the, the, um, uh, there was rumors that Gran Torino could have could have been yeah a, a Dirty Harry six yes uh, but but Clint kind of joked that now Dirty Harry six would just be uh, Dirty Harry in retirement you know yeah. <laughs> on, on the golf course or, yeah so yeah I think they should I something. think they should do another sequel to Dirty Old Men but with Dirty Harry and just call it Dirty Old Harry yeah <laughs> in the trailer of Gran Torino they actually I think the line is. It's as if Dirty Harry never went away. <laughs> so they're definitely playing that up. Yeah, pretty lame. Uh, I have a different thought on Gran Torino, and it, to me it's as if Gutty Highway never went away. <laughs> <laughs> He's the character in Heartbreak Ridge, uh, Dave. Oh, okay, okay. Which you should check out. Check it out. It's I've good. never seen Heartbreak Ridge, I don't think. I, does that have Marsha Mason in it? Yes, she is. Mm-hmm. And she's great in it. Okay, maybe I have seen yeah. it then. I didn't know his name in yeah. it, though. I, I have seen that movie. Yeah, she's really good in that film. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, but once again, an odd casting choice, right? You know, I learned that she was supposed to be in City Heat, and and I so my thought was um, it was kind of a make good, you know, like oh I I liked her, I wanted her to be in it, but she left over creative differences, so he's like, yeah, hey, I, I got a I got a role for her. Okay, that's what I, I I that's I mean that's my guess. I didn't confirm that, but no, I just kind of find it strange, like because when you think of like movies like with like a. Clint Eastwood movie or whatever, your assumption would be it's going to have like some gorgeous woman, like this like drop dead 10, you know, 10 level uh, actress. But no, his movies have weird kind of quirky yeah. actresses in them like Tyne Daly and and Patricia Clarkson and Genevieve, Genevieve Bujold and and even Sandra Locke is kind of this little, little yeah. mousy girl. Like it's kind of weird, right? Like I, I, I think Marsha Mason, especially like... She is younger than Clint Eastwood in real life, but she her character was meant to be about his age. Uh, okay, the, I see. Yeah, the, so you know he had to go with somebody who was, you know, close to his own mm-hmm, age, and, mm-hmm. and and she's not the young bombshell, but she was definitely an attractive woman in that movie. You know, for sure. If I can be a bit cynical, I think the pecuniary interest, like Eastwood, doesn't want to have a an actress that's too. Big budget, too too waged to cast okay. across himself. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think that's, that's a big true. part of it, you know. Yeah. I mean, the exceptions are Meryl Streep, Meryl Streep in Madison County, but of course that had you know Spielberg money, and um, I guess Angelina Jolie in '08 wasn't on the downside of her career. I no, mean, no, she was. Yeah, she was a big star then. Yeah. Huge. Okay. But I mean, sometimes actresses or actors will work with a director who has some prestige, you know, for scale, like, like say, say Woody yeah. Allen, like he can get fantastic casts or he could before all the ridiculousness, but he, he could, you know, command like a great cast of ac- actors and actresses because of his reputation. And so they would yeah. take scale and, and work, you know, for the prestige of that, that role, you know, and maybe that was the case with, with her, with Clint Eastwood, because at that point in his career, he'd done like a lot of really well-directed good movies 
you know. Yeah, they want to be taken serious. So mm-hmm. you do you go you do something out. You know, it's not Laura Croft. So you do something yeah. outside of your wheel wheel well. And 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 yeah, he's critically acclaimed. And maybe they just want to work with him. There's all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And there's an interesting film. It's sort of a contrast to the Dirty Harry films, where the police are like corrupt incompetence. You know, so you know, it's he's willing to. It's like he's. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. Like Richard Jewell too, right? That film. There's another case where the the authorities are the the villains in that film. That was the last movie I saw before lockdown. Did it have a theatrical release in Canada? Did you see it, Dave? Don't think I. No, I don't think it did. I, no, no, it did, and I just didn't make it to see it. That's right. That's what happened. I, I really wanted to see it. I have seen it now. I watched it on TV, but yeah, I am. I have been less shy about doing things in the lockdown, so <laughs> I have gone to see movies and stuff, stuff like that. Well, guys, many thanks for joining us for this review of uh, The Deadpool. Any <laughs> final last words? Um, did you, all in all, was it too torturous to rewatch it, Dave? Yeah, I just couldn't, couldn't be bothered. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to keep it fresh. So when we do the, the, film, the film comment, I'll, 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 you know, I'll look at it with fresh eyes. Terrific. <laughs> Thank you for confirming you will do an audio commentary. We'll um, do that in the next few weeks, I hope. Or Yep, that sounds um, great. And Brian, what about you? Any final last words about this movie as a whole? I think you're quite in favor of it. You're glad it was made? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I had an excuse to watch it again, honestly. <laughs> so thank you for that. Thank you for having me on. I do. I, I enjoy talking about Clint Eastwood movies, clearly. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, looking forward to talking about the movie uh, on the commentary. And, you know, the only final thought I have is, you know, I think teaming up with uh, an Australian and a Canadian is really going to be uh, good from uh, America's image right now. <laughs> nothing could, well, good. what could be, nothing bad could, I mean, well, you know what I mean? I think, I try, you know what I'm trying to say? It's fine. Never mind. I'm trying to be diplomatic and also, you know, because I'm actually an American, so that's the I miss your taglines to uh, Heartbreak Ridge. Um, always like to hear them at the end of your episodes, Brian. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's about, that about as close as you're getting on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave, where can people find you? Dave? What? Oh, hmm. sorry. I didn't. I thought we were done. I was just eating a bag of chips here. Where can you find me? That's a very good question. And the answer to that is you can find me and my co-host and friend Ian Boothby on Sneaky Dragon. That is a long running. In fact, we're getting close to our 500th episode. Wow. Uh, it's a, basically like a pop culture, um, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. It's a pop culture, comedy, improvised show. We don't really have a topic. We don't have planned discussions. We just start the tape rolling. We talk until until we're done. And we, you know, it's pretty <laughs> funny and pretty entertaining, I guess. We have, it is. you know, people enjoy it for some reason. And oh, then yeah. uh, based on conversations that we often have in the show, we kind of did more structured podcasts about topics that... I loved, but Ian wasn't that familiar with, and it's sort of a, an exploratory thing for Ian and a thing for me to kind of revel in in uh, things that I love. So we did one on the Beatles called Completely Beatles, which which tracks the band's history from album to album chronologically. We did one on Tintin called Totally Tintin, where we looked at all the Tintin books. And we also do um, things outside of the, you know, sort of the Beatles when we talked about their movies. And also for the Tintin when we talked about the, the movies. And then a movie one was the Marx Brothers. Um, we did one called Full Marx, where we look at the history of the, the, the group, the Marx Brothers uh, comedy 
our family or whatever you want to call it. And uh, yeah, so we did that, um, you know, from the earliest films to their last. And then um, we started a movie one called Fansplainers, which we started just a little bit before COVID came. And the shutting down of theaters has kind of impacted that show. So it's sort of on hiatus right now. But there's a good number of those, I think around 30 episodes of that, uh, where we talk about movies in some detail. And it's very, it's spoiler fold. Spoiler filled, spoiler filled, <laughs> and uh, we kind of talk about it in the uh, movies in the sense of what we liked about them, what we didn't like about them, and then we attempt to to fix them if we thought there were problems with them. And that, I really enjoy doing that sort of uh, dissecting the writing and and direction and stuff like that, and trying to figure out what what made the movie good or what made the movie bad or made the movie not so good. Do a clean one. So. Um, like I say, that's on hiatus right now, but we'll be bringing that back once once movie theaters are open again, I hope. Right. And then I do another podcast with my daughter called Sneaky Dragon Listening Party, which is a music podcast where we play songs and talk about the music and and talk, talk about the history of the bands. And it's kind of a deep dive into the sort of the more the more um, obscure corners of music because that came out of a project that I started when I was briefly unemployed back in 2015, where I offered. Uh, if listeners sent me a CDR, I would send back a mixtape of songs that I liked. And, and so that's kind of grew out of that. And so I thought it'd be fun to go back over those mixtapes and talk about the song choices and the bands and things like that. And it's been a lot of fun. And that is also kind of winding down. We have probably have about another month or so left of, or maybe two months left of that, that podcast. And then that will be over with, but uh, it's been fun. We just did episode 61. So it's a, it's a, a lot of fun to do those those shows. So there you go. That's where you can find me and my podcasts. Bye, everyone. I'm going to go back to my chips now. <laughs> <laughs> hope, uh, hope one of the flavors is chicken. And what about you, Brian? Where can our good listeners find you? Uh, yep. You can find me and my co-host, Jack Perry, over at our show, The Marine Corps Movie Minute, where we break down movies of the Marine Corps one minute at a time. Our website itself is the-marine-core-movie-minute.pinecast.co. Or it's a lot easier if you just throw in the Marine Corps Movie Minute into your Google search engine and you'll be able to find us. And of course, the show is available on pretty much every podcast platform you can think of. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, stuff like that. And of course, if you want to reach out to us, we're on Instagram at Marine Corps Movie Minute Pod, Twitter at MCMM underscore podcast. And we can be found on Facebook at, uh, we actually have a listener society or, you know, listeners page and it's Marine Corps Movie Minute Quarter Deck. So if you feel like joining us there. All right, guys. Well, Brian, Dave, we'll catch you next time on Dirty Harry Minute. 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 My American accent. Dirty Harry Minute. Minute. By law, a person who poses no danger to himself or to others can only be held for 72 hours. Found this in his pocket. It's a list of celebrities. One inspector, Harry Keller. Hey, buddy, I'll kick your ass so hard you left to unbutton your collar to shit. No, it's not what you think! It's no big secret. Most of the cast and crew knew about it. I didn't tell you because the Deadpool is just a harmless game. Sounds pretty sick to me. You want to know why I'm doing this? Because nobody cares! We care, Mr. Wheelery. No! Nobody ever paid any attention to me before! In order to get attention, you gotta do something! It was here for evaluation about a year ago. 
Diagnosis was process schizophrenia. I can't hear the colors. I've got to hear the colors. That's the mark of a good director. You've got to be able to hear the colors. You've got to be able to taste the sounds. And you didn't think he was dangerous enough to hold him? Most mentally ill people are not violent, Inspector. I've nothing to do with these deaths. No, I should have known better. I'm sorry. This is one instance where the system failed. What you did in there took guts. Most everyone else would have gone for the exclusive. Hi, this is Brian Wilson. I'd like to take this opportunity to wish you and your friends and family a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. You'll be hearing from me in 88. Man. How can I sing with shit exploding all over the place? It's just an accident, Johnny. If you ask me, this whole movie is an accident. How the fuck did I let myself get talked into this shit? I told you, it's just cheaper this way. It's closer to Clint's golf course, plus the crew's been complaining of your coffee breath. Stop complaining. We're both getting what we want. Yeah, well, I don't see why we couldn't shoot on a nice warm soundstage instead of a goddamn meat locker. Jim... You're a Canadian nobody with big teeth trying to get his green card. And Warners wouldn't insure Axel, so I need someone on scale. Brilliant! Director with talent would have the guts to shoot something original. I can't believe it's Jim Carrey. I still can't. It's not a ripoff. It's a homage. Stupid. A Deadpool, you say? Well, that sounds interesting. No, you're wrong.